right, so we're here. We're live. We're waiting for Clark. He's running a little late. It's Bob and I here on a podcastle's history hour. Um, <clears throat> I got to tell you, the past couple episodes, I haven't uh, been editing or doing anything to them. I just like don't have the time. And you know what? I just am getting sick of listening to myself. It's the first time it's ever happened to me in my life. I was always so entertained oh. by me that I could always just like listen back. And now I'm like, oh, would you shut up? You're not saying anything important. Well, you know, you've been doing this for a while. So and, what's new with you, know, you Bob? <laughs> you know, it just happens sometimes. How about so. you talk? Since I'm tired of hearing me, uh, you're you're back on the dating scene on the, your online dating, correct? Does it is yes. that is that just helpful? A month ago. Does it work? I mean, obviously it works. I remember when it first came out, everyone just wanted to make fun of it, and now it's primarily the way we date. It's the status quo because you get to meet people on there, and you can be, you know, honest from them out of the gate oh. and you can meet lots of people in a short amount of time and figure out, okay. And they can figure out, you know, if they want to meet up with you or, you know, Hey, let's move in different directions and let's find something else. So it's easy to kind of cut out the stuff and I'm just off of a marriage. So I'm looking at, uh, right. just meeting people and having some fun. So it's, and it's quite the jungle out there, John. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Like I was like on the cusp of using social media as like a tool to meet chicks. I mean, that's what Facebook was. Yeah. Literally, that was its original purpose. Now it controls the planet. Yeah, and I don't know what what me downloading these dating apps does, and what because I'm on two of them, but they they must share their information with the other uh, social media like Instagram yeah. and Facebook because not so much on Facebook. I'm just getting the ads for the dating apps on Facebook, which. Oh, yeah. you to get anyway because they own your ass once you sign up for anything online uh, yeah. the entire time but instagram i'm getting like hit on instagram by women now and oh. i can it's like they're, they're either hookers or are they younger uh probably about five or six years younger than me okay yeah see instagram is the thing like if anyone is doing anything important people are communicating on it like it's the only venue that they're using like, yeah, so I don't know if I'm talking to like a Russian bot that is trying to mine for government secrets or, or a Russian, yeah. or even a so Russian he, whale. Is he just <laughs> that'd be even worse? A big old submarine. Did you see that though? That whale that had shit strapped to it with like Russian codes no. on it. And yeah. they Wait think a it's minute. Like a spy. No, but it wow. makes sense because they they all swim down to the submarines. I mean, in World War Two. Wait a minute. Forces actually, uh, the torpedo planes that were looking for the German U-boats actually blew up a couple whales by accident. Oh. Thinking they were U-boats. Yeah, that's that, has, that can't be a good feeling. So back to online date, dating, Bob. Has anyone misrepresented themselves? This is what I ran into when I was briefly online dating. Yeah. This girl, it was all either far away shots from like three years ago or close-up shots where they just were ended at the neck 
Yeah, like in League of the Realm when they're doing like the, the profiles of all the uh, all the girls and you know, most of them are pretty attractive and then they show Marla Hooch from like forty yards away. Marla Hooch and she just waves at the camera, What a hitter. Yeah. What a hitter and she's in out the outfield. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, there's stuff like that and you kinda of pick up on those things pretty quick. Like when I think I first went on I was clicking on liking a lot of people just to see kind of like how much you get. I think with a lot of these women too, and I talked to some other of my friends who are on it, you know. You're not going to – probably for like every 10 you click, you'll probably get like three back because I'm sure the girls on there, it's a whole different deal than the guys. They're just getting like pounded on that thing. I think – a bunch of dudes. I think we've talked to – we've had Katie talk about online dating um, and I think we had someone else. But it's like women experience – whatever you – whatever men experience, women experience it times 10 because oh, yeah, there's sure. that yeah. many more desperate men Hence so why you if, never see any female homeless. It's, yeah. rare, it's rare. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm trying to come up with, you know, and so like a lot of these, you can like their profile and you can keep moving to the next one or you can like their profile and say something to them. So I need like a good like little drop line that I can spark their attention. Uh, so I don't know if you and Clark are perhaps the part. I think we are. we back? Hey, boys. We're back. Wait a minute. Are we back? Fix this camera situation. Are we back? We're back. Why so serious? Uh, Bobby, you want to jump over to Clark? Oh, jump over? Yeah. Okay. Just like hang up on this call and just jump over to Clark. It can. There we go. Look at this. We're booming and shaking and roosting and raking. I'm just rubbing elbows. I'm just rubbing elbows. And there he is. It's the big guy. It is the Podcastle's History Hour. And the question tonight that the world is talking about is, has Bob ever dressed up as General Longstreet before making intercourse with a woman and called himself General Longdick? That is the question that is trending on Twitter right now. United States, uh, Russia, and Thailand. Uh, Mostly Russia. what do you say about these accusations? Well, I would say they're they're true because that is one of the pictures of my online dating profile, and it gets a real good pop here in uh, the southeastern United States and <laughs> the great state of Georgia here. <laughs> a good, less fond southern gentleman. Not real that. good dick pop. My southern accent always ends up just Penis sounding punch. like, just sounds like, uh, you know, Humpty. You know, I start off, and then I'm like, and by the way, just right. grab them in the biscuits. Right. <laughs> it's like whenever I do a pirate, it usually transforms into an Irish guy. Right, it starts off like, like you're matey. Yar, you'll be fighting wires, and you'll be finding the pot of gold, and the leprechaun, I want you. We're going to be fighting Conor McGregor later on, and then do proper 12 whiskey. What happened? What happened? But uh, if you do the dating profiles, though, do you? I think the Southern thing would be a big hit down there. If you were like, I'm what you might call a, a sympathizer. Uh, well, with some crowds, it, it would get a lot of attention. With other crowds, it would actually probably <laughs> keep them away, which keep wouldn't away. You know, I'm an all-inclusive guy here, so it's uh, it's uh, it's it's okay, you know. Right. I was uh. I, I yeah I I I probably wouldn't advise it. That's not my. Uh, I don't have any uh, Confederate uh, battles <laughs> hanging in my closet. It's not in your moral DNA. Speaking of the Confederacy and the Union, uh, I was reading an article today on the most haunted places in America, and obviously Gettysburg's up there if you believe in that kind of thing. Um, but there are. Uh, 
Bob, I want to ask you, when you go to Gettysburg, do you ever explore the I town don't. outside of John Dustin? Do you ever explore the town, like, not not just the battlefields, obviously, but do you ever see, like, the old, like, taverns and stuff like that, or are you more just a, just more of a battlefield custer kind of guy? The last time I went there, I stayed Excuse in, like, me? a bed and breakfast. I stayed in a bed and breakfast. And uh, it was one of the old, I guess, like, saloon Shroot farms. Yeah during that was there or during the battle so you know it was all and of course they had it all done up to be somewhat period centric but also with the common uh, amenities that one would expect today like running water electricity when you stayed there did it have a sign outside that said like period style drinks because the article i read had a picture of that of a bed and breakfast and I, they said it was haunted with like a ghost several 11 ghosts i can't remember yeah. I can't remember. If eleven ghosts. Yeah, I love the articles. Like it's haunted by eleven ghosts. I was like, oh, is there a census? A paranormal yeah. census? Yeah. It, and it was like a little girl and then, like eleven soldiers. I'm like, what was going on in that house? Well, we had the Ghostbusters come and they took a census of all the ghosts. So we know there's eleven here. There's eleven here. The Ghostbusters. Uh, but Bob, you mentioned. Thank you for being on the show. It's great to see you. We mentioned something yeah, in the man. thread the other day, and it was about. July 4th weekend, that period of early July, um, you sent an article about the, the witness trees of Gettysburg. And it was a really interesting article. It was a really interesting video, actually. What's a tree? About these, these trees, these, these <laughs> other equations. <laughs> yeah, it was like a treatment that Katzen wrote at his parents' house. But these trees, it was like Bedford eating out of my toilet. But it was these trees that have been there since the Civil War. So you're looking at these, like, I don't know what kind of trees they are, but you're looking at them, and these trees were present at the Battle of Gettysburg because they're, like, you know, 170 oh, years old. Oh. Yeah. Kind of amazing. There's a bunch of them in the, oh. the battlefield. They, have, they actually have them marked, the ones that were there, especially the clump of trees that – uh, Longstreet and had Pickett use as the aiming point for uh, where he was going to direct his division. And what was interesting about that is I think they have, I forget how many exactly they had, uh, but there's still a bunch there that were around during the Civil War. And as these things die or get blown over in storms, they actually chop them up and they find cannonballs in them, bullets. Oh, uh, no way. Because they said something I think on the order of like 20 million. Uh, between artillery pieces and rifle rounds and handgun rounds, 20 million rounds were fired in those three three days of the battle. That's amazing. And these are called the witness trees. Witness Do you see a black tree. witness tree? Is it like, I didn't see nothing. Sue us at the underscore podcast. <laughs> Bob, you look great, by the way. Your, your camera, your audio, everything looks good. You're, you have a glow about you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's uh, uh, yeah. It was a very gay thing to say. The, uh, okay. but, the but, but if you're talking about 20 million rounds, you got to think. Gayer. If you can, if you go to Gettysburg and you had like permits to do some kind of excavation in certain areas, the shit you could find in the soil, you know, it'd be, it'd be insane. In the Even earth. during they say some of the people who lived around the town, uh, where actually, I actually talked to one of the women at the boarding house who, at the boarding house, wow, Ooh, whore. a period of time. But uh, at the at the bed of breakfast, <laughs> she said, you can go out on the battlefield after it rains, and sometimes some of the bullets and stuff like pop out of the ground. 
Wow. See, that would be amazing to see. I would love to go to a peer. I went to a period house once, but I was false advertising. It was a bunch of cranky women in there that were like, you picked the wrong time to come. And I was like, oh, I was talking about a Civil War period house, not your. We're all on our period. Yeah. But that's amazing, though, to think about what you can find. Oh, yeah. If you, uh, if you ran a middle trees, it would be incredible. I mean, some of the stuff that's still there, I guarantee it's, uh, yeah, just buttons, belt buckles. Probably whole rifles. It's uh, amazing. Fingers. And Gettysburg was not just fought on an open battlefield with just grass. And I mean, it was fought in the woods. It yeah. was fought Churches, on farms. Yeah, I mean, it, it covered a <sighs> lot of area. Imagine that, like modern day soldiers you just don't... trampling through our yards. Like, God, what the fuck? They're shooting cannons at each other down there. Nothing you can do. And, you know, they, when they had the first uh, the first major engagement of the war at, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh Wait God. a minute. Little Round Top. No, Little Round Top little is where they were with Lawrence Chamberlain. But there were lots of times where the families would refuse to leave their homes, and the battle would take place like their home would almost be like in between it and they'd all get killed because you know they're the soldiers aren't looking to you know they're looking to kill the enemy not protect the house necessarily that's and, incredible and also too when you talk about gettysburg and you think about three days in the heat and we grew up in pennsylvania it's the it's the equivalent the landscape of like a war going on in your backyard if you can imagine the woods and going through there and i think the scariest thing not even scary, but just one of the most incredible things is fighting in the woods. It's like you already have limited visibility while you're fighting, but on top of that, you're in this heat, and on top of that, you're in a heavy uniform. On top of that, you're carrying these heavy, you know, rifles, muskets, rifles, and it's just like dude in the woods in hell. the heat, you can get like lost in like a minute and be like, "Fuck, where were we?" Because yeah, everything looks minute. the same. Yeah, there's no breeze. You got a little bit of shade, but a little barely top. shade. Lawrence Chamberlain held the flame shade. Today it's not wooded as it was during the battle, but back then it was very heavily wooded, and that's when he repressed uh, Oates, General Oates's Alabamians, uh, coming up the hill three times, and then charged them eventually because they ran out of ammo. They had to charge them. Yeah, they ran out of ammo, and that's what they had to do. And it's amazing that these guys, Lee. What are your thoughts on him making the move into Pennsylvania for that battle? I mean, that's a bold. Did he think that would be like a silver bullet? Like, yo, if I dick win this, move. I'm going to win yeah. the war? He thought Big after, Chancellor, after Chancellorsville, uh, you know, Chancellorsville happened basically a little for a month before where they lost Stonewall Jackson. Oh. They were 30 minutes from crushing the Union Army. They just lost daylight. So. Yeah. And Stonewall Jackson was out still trying to push his lines forward, and his own pickets accidentally shot him because they thought he was an enemy combatant. So then Lee is all pumped up after Chancellorsville, even after losing his top general. Uh, I'm going to go to the north now. We're going to take the fight to them. That was the first time they actually invaded the north. All the other battles took place in the south at that time, in Virginia, uh, mostly in Virginia, pretty much. I never, thought, I never thought about that, and I'm going to need uh, a contractor, uh, some Mexican day laborers, and um, spackle <laughs> clean up my brain <laughs> on the wall behind me because he just blew my brains out. I never really thought about that, but all the battles were fought in the South. And um, was it a very? Why did Lee do that? Was it a selfish move or was he overconfident? No, like, I, don't, I don't even think he was overconfident. If you look at 
your armchair quarterback, I and mean, hey, he was overconfident. Well, and later in the battle with Pickett's charge, that was overconfidence, and that the was armchair was, quarterback. That was flat out arrogance. But he, uh, for that charge on the third day, he should have just he was in between the Union Army and Washington to D.C. and Cha- and uh, not Chamberlain Longstreet basically told him before the the final day, like let's just let's just start falling back towards Washington and and pick the ground we want to fight the Union and we can kick ass again. And then we can surround Washington and basically end the war. But Lee, he could go up north. He wouldn't, and he knew he'd be cut off from his supply lines going up north. But none of the battles have been fought up there, and there was lots of farmland in the Gettysburg area. And working through that part of Pennsylvania, and even if he went up into New York, he could live off the land with his army better than they could supply it in the South. Oh that. yeah, because they had the the, the trees no, going. Yeah, he had no choice. Yeah. If 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 Lee listens to Longstreet. And they did retreat towards Washington and start picking the ground. Was it feasible they could have defeated or at least won a few battles doing that? Or was that oh, they really? Kick, they were basically kicking the Union's ass the whole time. The only battles the Union could really – well, you did have – out west, though, the only problem was the Union was winning out west with Grant at Chickamauga. Uh, Chickamauga. At, uh, no, I'm sorry, at Vicksburg. Vicksburg. And they, they, Chickamauga. They took the Mississippi. They eventually got the Mississippi, and that would eventually – hurt them, but they could have put exerted incredible political pressure on Lincoln and the rest of the Unionists in Congress to at least give them a truce and, you know, not necessarily win the war, but stop the war and, and still to maintain their way of life. That's amazing. You mentioned a book the other day. The name escapes me, but there was a book you said, it's like a definitive book about Lee and Gettysburg. Lee Street at Gettysburg. Oh. It's, it's, it's specifically about the them. Gettysburg campaign. Them and the battle plan and what went right, what went wrong. Yeah, and it's it's also defense of Longstreet because he took a lot of – after the battle, he took most of the blame when really it was oh. all these what happened there. Long, is, yeah, Longstreet wasn't to blame for that. He was actually espousing the, the more prudent battle plan and the way to go forward and actually, you know, let's not just crush them right here because it's – because we didn't pick the land. They got to pick the land before we did. Let's fall back, pick the land, and, and just bounce around until we get back to D.C. And they have to, they, oh. they have to fight us. They're not going to be able to, to retreat. They can't do that. And Lee, if Lee wasn't the commanding uh, officer in charge uh, at President Gettysburg, and it was Longstreet, would they have still fought there? Because I know Gettysburg is where they just happened to meet up. It wasn't of any kind of geographical significance. Would they have fought there? Would, have he, would Longstreet have pulled back before it even started? It was almost like any invasion of the North was going to end up at Gettysburg at that time because oh. all of the roads at that time led to Gettysburg. If you had to go up north, you're not going to go through Philadelphia because it's too crowded. You want to and you want to live off the land. You don't want to go into a city and do that. Fuck you up. You want to go, go into a Fuck it up. Uh, so they were eventually going to probably, if they went in the north, Gettysburg battle was going to happen regardless, and it did. But Longstreet, if he was in charge, definitely would have pulled back probably after the second day. He and Lee did not, and it, Longstreet implored him to, and that didn't happen, and that's why they lost. And that was the turning point of the war. Because the first day they pushed the entire Union army through the city, they pushed them back up into the hills, and the second day all they did was get repressed. They didn't, they didn't move the Union line, and the Union line didn't push forward. So the third day, why the hell would you have a giant charge like that to try to break through the center, you know, their most fortified point? And you know your artillery isn't accurate as isn't as accurate no. in armies, and they were overshooting the whole time during the cannonade. Uh, that right. was the loudest sound in the Western Hemisphere until they detonated the atomic bomb in Los Alamos. That's yeah, how, so many artillery pieces were on the field. That's insane. And also, too, to put things in perspective, this is not modern warfare. 
where there's more precision airstrikes and accuracy of, of uh, you know, artillery. It's yeah. very a lot of it's very it's very inaccurate compared to today's standards, and it's not. These in guys real time. were idiots. It's not in real time in the sense that I mean it's real time, but it's not in the sense that you have you know a chain of command set up with radio communications and reinforce. I mean you're, you're yeah, basically flags, like flags on the battlefield, and then guys on horseback like couriers who would run back and forth between the different commanding generals and let them know their movements and and then the orders from the higher up generals. And but basically you had flags, which when the battle starts, the flag guys from a half a mile or a mile away, you're not gonna be able to see them anyway because of all the smoke. That's what the movie Gettysburg doesn't convey. I mean that that battlefield was yeah, I agree. clouded in smoke. You couldn't see shit, especially during you know when Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was holding Little Round Top. They had fired so many times, like you couldn't see. They didn't see the the Confederates until they were on top of them, basically. It's true. Charge and, and, and to give you oh. to give some kind of scope of the magnitude of the firepower there, Bob, you mentioned on the last show. Lincoln could hear some of the rifle round or cannon rounds from getting yeah. from DC that was yeah. happening in Gettysburg. Now let's watch DC, Gettysburg, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. 80, 84 miles away as the crow flies. That's insane. As the yeah. crow flies. That's the title of tonight's show. As the crow as the crows fly. As the crow yeah. flies. But it's amazing when you it's think racist. about that. And if you look <laughs> it's racist. I'm very offended. <laughs> Please apologize for this abhorrence and reprehensible behavior. It's capricious. It's capricious. Arbitrary. The, uh, but when you're talking about Gettysburg, though, and you look at how many people died there in three days, it's more than uh, the Vietnam War, right? 54,000 died. That's insane. It is. That's, that's insane. Died, uh, died and or missing, which means they died. They were blown apart by something. Yeah, not missing doesn't mean they took <laughs> off. They didn't have forensics back then, so it was just like, oh, uh, Johnny didn't come back to camp tonight. He's missing. I find his body on the battlefield. Yeah. He, he was vaporized by you know three artillery shells. Right. His body's all over the place and then not anywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. But um, Longstreet was uh, did, was Lee not listening to Longstreet more of a pride thing, or was Lee just confident like oh, I know what I'm doing? I'm I think Lee was very right. confident in his army at that time. I think he respected Longstreet and he certainly took his counsel into consideration. But I think he really thought his army could do it. And quite honestly, his army had done it in the past. They, they were had, yeah. faced unbelievable odds and through certain remarkable circumstances and also some of the stupidity of the Union generals, he was able to prevail. So why not? Why wouldn't it work this time? Why not take the chance? You know, that's why you look back on it. It's kind of stupid that you're charging at the center of the Union line and they can see it coming a mile and a half over the field. Oh. But he thought he could do it. Right. How, how long was the, the Battle of Antietam last? Was that a one-day campaign? One day. 24,000 men killed in that day. That's insane. Could you imagine? Yeah. The Union guys came marching through the cornfield, and literally the Confederates just cut them down like they had a weed whacker. I mean, it was just like they just – line after line of Union soldiers, they just kept throwing meat at the Confederates, and every single line kept going down, going down, going down. So they finally started to overwhelm them a little bit, and that battle wow. That's why it was in the beginning of the movie Glory, and they just get mowed down, and they said, uh, Antietam, a great and a terrible day. Meaning like a great day, but also the, the loss of life. Terrible. Yeah, they still, they, they still have that cornfield. They actually still grow the corn on it. And the corn, unfortunately, these days grows – corn can grow to like to six and a half, seven feet because it's genetically modified. Back then, it only grew to about three and a half to four feet. So it's not right. like the army was – these guys, the Confederates, could see them coming through the cornfield. It wasn't like they were hidden by the high corn. 
Yeah, right. It was genetically modified today. John, you're, John's changing like an alien over there. I like it. Um, pretty incredible, though. But, Bob, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, Here, Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I always wish I had you on more, you know, as much as you want to come on. And we want to uh, talk about whatever you're feeling tonight. I've got a lot of questions about the Civil War, but I don't want to monopolize your time. I think, I think we've got the Civil War pretty good there. I think we got it pretty good. I don't well, know. that was just a rehearsal. We're going to start recording now. So <laughs> let me ask you, the question on everybody's world is, Wait a minute. mind in the world is, has Bob ever dressed up like Longstreet and called himself Long- <laughs> Longstreet? <laughs> like I said, yeah, it's worked well on the profile. It's pretty amazing. It's done well. Uh, the online dating world is uh, it's a jungle out there. It's unbelievable. Later on tonight, History yeah. Hours, Would You Rather, with Mr. Bob here, where we ask him, uh, questions such as, would you rather been present at the Battle of Gettysburg or on the Apollo 11 rocket launch? <laughs> Things like that. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Did we talk about, uh, I don't know if we talked about last time, did you guys see, I think we may have, First Man, the movie about Neil Armstrong? We may have, we may have talked about this already. I don't no, worry. I have to watch that. I, I forgot okay. all about that. You, you, you'd you love it. very highly of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you, it, it, it's, it's pretty good. And yeah, it's pretty, you... You, uh, you raved about that, Bob, and I keep seeing it on Netflix, and I just, for some reason, don't watch it. It's really that good. I'm going to be impressed. It is good, especially the... Uh, it's not Neil just for Astro heads. It's about, it's about Neil Armstrong. It focuses on his life, uh, but the moon landing scene is completely and totally accurate, which I give Hollywood a lot of credit for, that they stuck to that. They stuck to the actual history of it. There's, I'm talking about just when they separated from the command module, landed on the moon. That whole sequence takes, I think, like 10 minutes in the movie. That's completely accurate. Is it on Netflix now? That's what happened. I went to look for it, and I ended up watching Apollo 13. <laughs> That's what happened. it's on Netflix. Movies. <laughs> Pretty John, sure. Oh, I, so hard to get to anything. I know. It's like it's a big thing. Did you watch that Ted Bundy movie? I watched half of it. I heard that was good. It's pretty good. Although they kind of like humanize him and you're like, Yeah, the guy killed like forty people. He's not he's a monster. But they they kinda you kinda feel sorry for him. Yeah, they make him the protag. Yes, he's the protag. (laughs) They had a good documentary on him too. I don't know if it was on HBO or Netflix, but the documentary was uh, terrifying. The Bundy tapes. Yeah, it was terrifying. That's another he, one that I didn't the guy, finish. The guy literally escaped from jail, and instead of going to Canada or Mexico, he went back down to Florida and just started killing people. He went again. to FSU and killed like a whole bunch of sorority chicks. Yeah, yeah. that's what brought him down. Tallahassee. Yeah. Tallahassee. It's incredible. Um, but the first, but first man is now on Netflix though. I got to watch that because Bob I was saying I ended up watching Apollo 13 because it wasn't available or something when I went to watch it. Yeah. ADHD. That's gonna happen again tonight. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put on Gettysburg, and I'm gonna end up watching The Rock, or something. <laughs> I know that happens every time. I have an intention to watch one thing, or or answer someone on my phone. But there's too many other things in the way. We you don't have the woods. You go on Netflix, and there's like all these great options, and you're like, you get just you get distracted from what your original thought process was, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna watch this. This looks awesome. I just like checking out what everything is. Like, oh, what's the preview here? What's the preview for this? Oh, I'll I'll watch that eventually. I'll watch that when I'm 90. 
You know what I've been watching a lot of lately? Maybe it's because I'm old or I'm going to die soon or something, but the, not, not a bit. But the, um, I've always loved history, but I've been watching so many like historical documentaries, especially like ones about the French Revolution and things like that. Really? Wow. Yeah, like I just I feel like there's that's a period of history that would never happen again because of modern technology, and it's like fascinating. You'll never have wars again on the scale of even Vietnam. Mm. You know, it's all like. It is unbelievable. Good, it is insane thing. that we even like got that many people together. Like, look, you're gonna fucking put your. You're basically gonna go die, uh, and maybe your bullet will you're kill gonna, someone else. The, the chances are overwhelming that you're gonna die. Like, look at yeah. the way the Civil War was fought. Point blank, charging straight ahead in uh, uncamouflaged uniforms. Like, no way. That's because they had no concept of they were still using the, the Napoleonic the Napoleonic uh, tactics of the early 19th century. And it didn't right. show the technology that had just happened that had really just been refined 20 years before, after the uh, Mexican American. No history. Oh. So you had rifle barrels. You know, you could, instead of a rifle being accurate at 60 yards, it was accurate at 180 yards. I read uh, or was watching. Bob, something are you like rubbing the computer, rubbing something? Jerking off. No, it's okay. It's just picking it up. It's me. I'm jacking up. I was reading something Some recently sandpaper. about uh, Andrew Jackson in, uh, employed the pirate Gene, I forget his name, Lafayette, the, the New Orleans oh, yeah. guy. Blackbeard. Yeah. Fight in the Battle of New Orleans. Is that That's true, isn't it? That's yeah. like when the Stones hired yeah. the what Hells Angels. What was that Angels. about? I, I actually don't know much about that. Lafitte. Well, basically, the British were really Lafitte. dumb. They were dumb, and that's still Lafitte's Tavern. I guess is where he stayed when he lived in New Orleans, and that's the one of the oldest bars in New Orleans. That yes, is like almost like period based. Like the only the only electricity they got going in there is going into like the guy uh, for the speakers for the piano. Yeah, you get syphilis in there from using the toilet. Like it's oh my really period based. Yeah, what, what, very realistic. They were talking about that bar. They mentioned he would like hang out there. That was his place yeah. during the battle. Of, was the Battle of New Orleans part of the? War of 1812? Yeah, War of 1812, and basically Andrew Jackson had three weeks to fortify himself in there and protect the city, so to speak, and the British just came across the marshes and the swamps into the Americans' oh, fortified position, and it was just like a it was a turkey shoot. Wow. The Americans only, I think, had six casualties. Nobody died on the American side, and I think we slaughtered like 380 British. Wow, that's insane. Talk about a tactical victory. Yeah. Well, they were kind of dumb attacking them like that. I have no idea. I forget the name of the general who attacked them. But uh, the British. The British general, yeah. But I don't. Andrew Jackson had it well in hand. I mean, he already had it fortified. And he didn't just have, like, he, his army was filled with, like, mercenaries, locals from New Orleans. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. They knew the, the right. landscape. Yeah. Everybody, you know, they were building up the buttresses and the, uh, the, the firing pounds. And, What's a buttress? Not the buttresses. That's uh, something on the side of the building. Trebuchet. <laughs> but uh, the Jimmy round stuff. So that's similar to like the swamp fox, the guy in the Revolutionary War that fought with the uh... Samuel Green. Yeah, yeah. So they knew the landscape. They knew like the layout of the land to their advantage, which is true. If you have a foreign, or at that time a foreign invading army, it was still part of England coming over here they don't know like the trees and the layout and the woods and where you hide and the roads and you know it was just like us rushing. going just bum rushing. you know just like juggernaut yeah. just like, ah, whatever who cares we have more men 
Starman. Yeah. Wait a minute. King Hayabusa. <laughs> you said Hayabusa earlier, and I was trying to think of what that was from, and it just hit me. I saw this, like, it's like this YouTube channel where they teach you how to work out or something, and it's called, like, Hayabusa uh, Fitness. I was like, oh, they took that name from fucking pro wrestling, the Nintendo game. Original <laughs> Nintendo. Hayabusa. Yeah, also needs to be filed. Marion was a swamp fox. He fought the British in uh, North Carolina. Marion. Nathaniel Green was the Green Mountain Boys who took the British fort of Fort Ticonderoga up in Canada. Oh. He was up in Montreal. Could be wrong again, though. Uh, oh, you said Francis Marion, though. That's the name I was thinking of. Yeah, Francis Marion in North Carolina. He was kicking their ass in Montreal. the Montreal. He was the guy that Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson of the Patriot, was based off of, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, loosely based. They took a lot of liberties. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he was just killing him. Right. Tavington in that movie was Tarlington. He was kind of, yeah, and he was based on, like, that Tarlington guy and also a mishmash of other characters that were just horrible to the the American uh, people at that time, the colonists, if you will. Well, they got to they got what was coming to them as we kicked their ass. We did. And they wonder why they were losing the war. When they're like, we need to fight like gentlemen with a big, bright red... You know, well, that they were, that yeah. and they were they were enlisting prisoners from England, uh, and they were putting them on the ships and dressing them up like soldiers and trying to train them on the ships and then bring them over and drill them a little bit when they got over here. So they really? weren't real fighters. Plus, the soldiers, <laughs> most of the soldiers they had over here during the Revolutionary War for the British were like their B and C squads. So, Interesting. Yeah, it, they were kind of they were still fighting with the French at that time, so they couldn't right. take the best guys out of Britain. Yeah, they were spread too thin, and it's similar to the Nazis in, like, 1944. They were throwing, like, Norwegians in uniforms, being like, go ahead and fight. And they're like, we don't, there's no part in this. You're, like, losing this war. It's a, it's a sinking ship. I don't believe in none. I'm not fucking doing it. Not for Hitler, not for Norway. I've been in Van Pakdala. For the God of Thunder. God of Thunder. Norway. Norway. I, I, when John goes to the grocery store, Bob, I picture his grocery list like this. Hey, it's probably like, hey, you need to pick up eggs, baby formula, <laughs> formula, milk, and uh, pick up a copy of Thor, um, you know, whatever the name of the movie is, Bangarang, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Thor Fraggle Rock or whatever. Like, I, I feel like there's always like a superhero thing on there, but it's important. But like she, like, you know, you wore this one out as if you're still watching DVDs, like, hey, you need to get, you know, Superman Returns because, you know, we watched it too much. And I, I hope that's part of the grocery list. There's usually some sort of Marvel or Star Wars injection into whatever's happening. Uh, she came back from, Heather came back from Publix today with like a whole bunch of food, like we needed to go uh, food shopping. And she came back with a Wonder Woman sippy cup for Hannah. I was like, nice. Brain, so brainwash complete. When? When, when, <clears throat> when, when, um, Bob, I want to ask you a co- question. You wore, you posted something on Instagram the other day and you had a very crisp 1980s era Phillies cap, which I, you've worn on the last show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I thought the same that, thing before I saw your comment, Grace. And I've been thinking about that and I was like, Jan, I need to get one of these hats. And it's like, I can't rock, really rock that kind of hat like Bob can. Me neither. But there's something cool about that era, you know? So I went down this wormhole, this rabbit hole last night of Phillies uniforms. Do you guys remember what their uniforms were in pictures, obviously, in like the late 70s? 
They were like an all red, like pajama suit. And I was like, oh, they quickly changed that to like the blue and the white, the red stripe, the pinstripes. <laughs> but there was a period. The powder blue. It's my favorite. Oh, the best. My favorite of all time. It, it just looks so good when yeah. you see Harper in the blue and everything. But they, they, but there was a period where they had like red. They almost looked like track suits. So sexy. In the late. And they, they were kind of cool. But if like one of us wore them, we look like a douchebag. Uh, the, the shirt, the uniform, I mean. The hats are yeah. cool. You look like a baseball player. They were all, they were all red. Like long sleeve jumpsuits. Oh yeah. Nineteen seventy nine. Just Google Philly's nineteen seventy nine home uniform, and it's like this all red thing, and it looked cool on some players. But like, oh yeah. I think it'd be funny if one of us went to a Phil's game dressed yeah. in that. And that it's, it's like there's a picture of Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt wearing it, yeah. and Look because it's right. because it's those two, it's kind of like oh, it's it's not that bad. Right. Thought but, the same thing. But then it's like, well, but what if we sucked? Right. Imagine yeah. like losing like, like, like two fifteen to nothing to, wow. to the Yankees, and wearing them there, and you're like, man, and they weren't the same. Isn't it insane? The Yankees have never changed, and we've changed them like a million times. It seems. Every team has. Not the Yankees, way, though. I no, well, not the Yankees. Yeah, not the Yankees, but it's every unbelievable. other team. Unbelievable. Not really the Red Sox too much. Right. Right. I talked to my dad this week. He's 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 like semi retired, so he just does like he goes to games a lot and stuff. So he's he went to two Sixers games this week, and he's like, "It was the worst game I've ever seen." And Bede is throwing it up, and you know he missed three for three, and they lost by forty points. And I was like, "Yeah, no, it was a tough game." And he's like, "We're going back tonight. We're going to try to turn it around." And I'm like, "Dad, you're not the coach." You know, and he was like, get really getting into it. Really, he and, gets like really into it. Yeah, he gets really into it because he he's has like awesome. all this time now. So he's like, yeah. So we're going back oh, tonight, geez. and we got to turn this around. Here's the problem with what they're doing. And I was like, yeah, you're right. He's like, it's all about a beat, you know. And if, if he's getting hurt and he's sick and all this, and I'm like, okay, are you going to a Phillies game soon? He's like, nah, it's too cold right now. It's too cold. <laughs> too and I'm cold. like, okay, May. <laughs> all right. And then, uh, but I, but he called me and he's like, I sent you a bunch of books, but like he has all these his, history books, like Killing Lincoln and stuff like that. He's like, I'm sending you these books. I read all this stuff. I'm sick of moving around with. That's what it was. But see, I love that kind of stuff. Do you guys oh, like course. hand-me-downs or hand-me-ups? Like my brother gets rid of clothes and he's like, <clears> I'll just send them to you. But the kid's 23 and has like cool stuff. So I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, send it to me. I'll be relevant again. Right. You know, like I'll wear like some shirts and like look cool. I'll be relevant again. I'm wearing a Villanova shirt here from like 2010. I don't. That's like the. This is like the coolest shirt I own. You know? Don't you guys love like stuff like that? You're like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take it. Hell yes. Yeah, Bob. Do you and your do you steal do you steal stuff from your brother now that you guys are all basically like, you know, similar in size? Yes, and ironically, we trade it off. Like I'll wear something like. Like I had a, a Vineyard Vines Vineyard cashmere Vines. like sweater ooh, thing, ooh. and he's like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And I was like, "Do you want it? I'll take like three of those shirts with like a, a smiling ice cream cone on it instead, because that looks cool." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's trade, let's trade." And he's, you know, what he got into recently, which I think is awesome. I have all these old baseball hats what? From, from the early '90s. You know, like the, <gasps> the Philadelphia Eagles, the green with like it's almost cursive lettering. Yeah. And like old baseball, like 
Mariners caps, the old logos. Yes. He thinks those are the best. They and he's like, yeah, I'm 90s. wearing your Mariners hat. And somebody offered me 20 bucks at a party for it on the spot. And I was like, and he wears like old Flyers hats. And I'm like, dude, I'm glad that you like that. Like they're, they're kind of coming back. They're making like another resurgence because they're kind of like retro at this point. Right. So I was like, keep them alive, man. I have a whole – sorry to ramble about this. I have a whole like trunk of uh, – trunk. I have a whole like case of uh, hats at you know my parents' house. And he just found them and is like rocking them. And I'm like, I'm glad that you know, you're getting some use out of these. It's kind of cool to see because it's like when we were that age, the '70s was like, what did you call it? Throwback, nostalgia? No, whatever. Yeah, like nostalgia. Vintage. Retro. Retro. Yeah, like retro. The, retro. Late '80s, early '90s. We all had the starter jackets. Philadelphia right. Eagles. Oh yeah. Either had the pullover one or the one that actually zippered up and then buttoned up. I don't even know. Starter still even in business? I don't know. Yes. Uh, I love no, the I, I, I'm not. Sh- I think Starter is like I think you can find them in Walmart. If you look on the Philadelphia Eagles website, they have Bob Mitchell and Ness. Yeah, I I need to get off of that website sometimes. It can get very damaging. To oh, that's amazing. My little buddy debit card, but uh, they had yeah. Ness makes the old throwback uh, Eagles starter jackets. Really? How much are they? I'm gonna guess they're like 200 bucks. No, they're like they're like 120. So it's it's bad. It still hurts a little bit, but it's not too bad. I'm on the site right now. They have a po- they have podcasts. We should be on here. We covered their Super Bowl win victory live. We we should be numbers that anybody else had. We did. We had tremendous, really, really terrific numbers. The other websites were fake. Fake news. We did it best. There were more downloads for us than for Merle Reese. Someone said that. Somebody heard Bob, it. Someone said it. It's real. Somebody told me Bob had lunch with Wentz that day, and that sort of changed the outcome of the game. So Bob's kind of responsible for it. Really, really true. I saw that on InfoWars. I saw that on InfoWars. Yeah, Alex Jones. Yeah, I'm on the shop right now, man. This is a rabbit hole. We have so much. So yeah. much shit on you. They've done a really good job with it, and I think they've they've gone to a lot of the throwback stuff. And I think there's a push now. I've I've heard that there's some something going on. There's some rumblings about them bringing back the Kelly Green uniforms full time. That's been I've heard rumbling that too, for far I, too I, long. I would hope that's true because the uniforms now are cool, but in my opinion, they remind me too much of the McNabb era. Like we need fresh like yeah. Right. Wentz nice. needs to win the Super Bowl in the Kelly Green. Yeah, whole new uh, generation, baby. Yes. There is a jacket on. <laughs> there is a jacket on the PhiladelphiaEagles.com shop. It's the men's NFL pro line, and it is it the the shipping is free, which it should be, because the price is <laughs> how much do you think this is, John? It's a Super Bowl, um, fifty two champion jacket. It's not autographed. It's just official gear. Take a guess how much the price is. $200. I would never pay that money for this unless it was it would have to be autographed by the team. Did Wemps did Wemps it would have to be free. Jerk off into it or something? Yeah, did he cut did it go down on you and then Wentz calls you later and go, How'd your blowjob from the jacket go? Because 
and inside the pocket of the jacket, Carson Wentz's DNA. This is geared towards the 60-year-old man with too much money that's like, I'm getting this. That's what it is. Or the insanely young, like, teenage rich kid. But they have... This is part of my allowance. But they have have like $30 t-shirts that are retro that say fly eagles fly and they look awesome and you can tell they're like the comfortable t-shirts like not the hard kind mm. that that at hard up after a, a, a bath a fucking bath a two before washes. a wash they yeah, do like, have the men's starter jacket on here one of them not like the one that we were used to but like the shiny one the shiny green one yeah and it's only it's 110 bucks that's reasonably priced yeah that you can we can stomach that one Sixers, Sixers, breaking news. Sixers win 101 to 112 over the Raptors, forcing a game seven Sunday in the White North. No. <laughs> this this should be the whole show is Bob and I going down these like on these sites and buying shit we don't need, like drunken purchases, and John's trying to reel it in with Sixers up uh, 68, 28. Standings like, in the American Josh. League. John's trying to re- reel it in with truly relevant sports information. <laughs> reel it in. No, but I like this. Uh, this, you know, I don't know if starters still exist, but I know Umbro is trying to make a comeback. Remember Umbro? Really? Only yeah. the cool kids had, had Umbros. I had all those shorts. Oh, like I only had like shorts. two pair. My parents wouldn't buy me them. Assholes. No, I only had like two pair, but. But I remember, like, you wore, like I wore those in the Fila shoes. Remember the Fila? I mean, Fila's still around. Remember Fila? I had Fila sandals. I that was that, The only basketball shoes I ever owned when I played basketball were black Filas. And I thought they were, like, awesome. I was like, they're fucking Italian, and they're, they're great. And then they kind of went away, but they're coming back. I had Tommy Hilfiger high tops freshman nice. year. Nice. Tommy, Tommy Hilfiger high tops. I don't even know I, what they look white, like. Bright white with just a little Tommy Hilfiger red, white, and blue logo flag on the side. Oh. It was atrocious. Oh, yeah. Tommy. All white shoes. What are I you, thought, Snoop Dogg? I, I thought I was freaking awesome, though. Tommy Hilfiger uh, white shoes, like Chucks or anything, they always look, because I, I owned a few pair, they always look cool. Like when you're getting them, you're like, they're all white. They're going to look great. But then after a week, they get scuffed and dirty, and you just look like a poor kid. Well, what I did was I would bleach them every, like, three days. I'd get, like, a rag of bleach and bleach them, and eventually the bleach just, like, started eating through all the material, and they fell apart. Laces <laughs> frayed. I remember like, – do you guys remember the Shaq Gnosis? No. What was that? Shaquille O'Neal's, like, second shoe. It looked like a hypnotizing – like, it went, like, white, black, white, black, white, black on the shoe. Oh, yeah. And I actually owned those and played basketball in them. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Sh- what are they called? The Shacknosis? Shacknosis. Look them up. Or I will. Say, so, hey, boys, I'm really thinking about getting a shiny Eagle starter jacket. I'm not lying. I'm, I'm not lying about this. See, uh, I, I can't consider it because. Sh- I, oh, my gosh. Shoes. Shacknosis. I, I don't need a jacket. No, I need people. You're so foolish. Now, and I know as soon as I put this thing, I'm going to get it. It looks awesome online. As soon as I put it on, I'm going to look like a jackass who's never going to wear it out in public. No, no. You could rock the jacket. I would look like an idiot. You could do it. They like, have shoes on there, though. They look like Chuck Taylors, but they have the Eagles logo on it. But they're not, like, corny. I think you could pull them off. Like yeah, the, jacket, I don't think I the jacket wouldn't go well. I get my ass kicked. That only looks, that only looks good in, you know, from, for, like, 15 and unders. Doesn't look good on a thirty-five-year-old grown man. 
you could probably pull it off. I do like the I do like the merchandise they have on the Eagles store though. There's a Philadelphia Eagles 12 ounce mint wine tumbler, so you can tumble your wine. I don't know why you would ever tumble wine. You just kind of let it breathe and pour it's it. Jaws one. Jaws one. You just pour <laughs> wine into a tumbler. Tumble. You want to let that breathe? How about you let that breathe? He's like, he just goes like. Is anybody eating this? Okay. So my husband tells me to eat this morning. By the way, we're not far away from Jaws weekend. I mean, we are, but two months away, July 4th, Jaws season starts. Holy gosh, the summer crept right up on us. Like a dick with Like a lizard in the toilet. Like a homeless man outside of 7-Eleven. It's dark outside. Like Linda Jean and her armpits. It's just it's crazy. Uh, if you're going to um, make prepare some pre-cooked meals or home-cooked meals and serve it, you can feed us. But if you want to talk to us online, you can tweet us at the underscore podcast. We are live here with Bob, our dear friend, maybe the best guest ever. Uh, Bob's more than a guest. You're not really a guest, Bob. You're more of a, a co-host at this point. And uh, you've shared a lot of tears and happiness here. I don't think we ever cried. But you've, you've, we've, we've shared a lot of stuff, and it's always good to have you on. And what I like the best about having Bob He's a recurring show, guest, recurring host. Bob doesn't waffle or, or uh, you know, hesitate with things. You can just change gears and be like, oh, I yeah, love how but, Bob doesn't stick on stupid, useless details. No. You know, like, was and, it two and, hours or three hours? I think it was two. It was like two and a half, two, three. I'm like, blow my brain. But, but you're such an expert at things. It's like McCle- you talk about McClellan and give like the life history and his DNA code. And then I'm like, then the ADHD kicks in for me, and I'm like, whatever happened to Apollo 12? And you're like, well, actually, that was a very important launch. It was delayed because of the rain. It was about 32 and cold that day, and you just know all the facts. You're like a, a Google in, in, in the flesh with history, and it's amazing. It's inspiring, actually. Well, before I come on here, I do put some gasoline in my Googler machine and get that fired up and do some research on a few of the topics that uh, we might be talking about just so I can do it like a about gasoline, we're talking about some Georgia moonshine. <laughs> Get some ginseng in the hills. Ginseng. Ginseng. Um, Bob, do you go to Atlanta for any of the sports uh, games? No, I don't. I don't like to go to Atlanta. I have to go there for no. work. No. I hate that city. How could you but, stand uh, and I can literally, out my office window, I'm less than a mile from the Braves stadium. I can actually see the score of all the Braves games. And wow. Myself, That's I think kind the of radical. Come, I, I see the Phillies are coming to Atlanta, I think, in mid-June again because the Braves are going up there in the next week or so, I think. Yeah. And so that means the Phillies will come down in mid-June. They usually, they usually like stagger it by a month when they play each other. So I'm definitely going to go to one of those games. I haven't been to the new stadium yet. It's two years old, so – yeah, it's a brand new stadium. It's state of the art too, from what I hear. Who gives a shit? Who gives a fuck? Yeah, Braves have a great uniform though. That hat can you can pretty much rock with anything. They stole it from Alabama. <laughs> Did you notice the hats in the background represent the primary players uh, of this show at the top? Braves, Dodgers, that. Marlins, Yankees, Phillies. You have the Mets up there. Though, Orioles right show. under it. You do have the Mets up there. You might want to change that one out. The Mets. The What's the top left? Is that the Mets? I can't see it. Yeah, yeah right over the Mets. Right, John's right shoulder. Oh. Oh, there we go. 
Nice. But I like. You know what? I like. Dick you, like. you know. You know what's another uh, wormhole? I've used that term like four times a show. Is the um, keep it up. Keep going. See if you can get to town. I know. I want to do that like Scott's dirt feed or whatever the fuck we were saying like five shows in a row. The, uh, the lids.com. I, like I'll go on lids once in a while and buy John like a hat, like a drunken purchase. And you just look around and you're like, <clears throat> you want to like buy them back. all because you, I, I, it goes to my mind. There's like a Phillies 1948 throwback hat. You're like, I don't think a lot of people are buying these, but I, I don't want them to discontinue it because it's cool. So I should buy one. And also, I'm drunk. Yeah, Why am I thinking out. about this at 2 a.m.? But it's like awesome. It's awesome. Well, the best thing with the, the hats now is they have the flex fit, where you can get a hat that'll look half decent on it. And that's the Phillies throwback hat that I have. Because if I get a fitted hat, it never fits quite right. And a lot of the fitted hats now have like that flat brim. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, I, no. You're 50 cent. 35 years old, I don't need to be wearing a flat brimmed hat. Like, yeah, hey, you want, what's yeah. up, baby? You going to the club tonight? Yeah, yeah. I live with my mom. But I have like a nice BMW. Yeah, I'm getting a tattoo tomorrow. <laughs> um, the question that the uh, Eastern United States has tonight is, Bob, your morning breakfast routine. Are you a man that wakes up and makes like a wholesome, nutritious meal, or do you stop off and pick something up at McDonald's? Look at this, Bill. Oh, this is ridiculous. I like that. I like that old school Angels hat. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a classic. But, but yeah, the brand one. Is, it, is that that that's like a that's a true blue fitted hat? I haven't really worked it in at all. Yeah, like, I no. haven't worn this yeah. one. Yeah, it looks like you just it's, you just bought it. Right like, now. Look that's at that nice Braves one. one in the background. You can tell I've never worn it. Look at the red yeah. bill. It's that's, like completely that's flat. That's all I can see. And as soon as I see that bill folded, I'm gonna we're gonna have some problems, passenger. John, will you wear ever wear? Will you wear all the hats once in a while and throw them on? Or are they more for decorative? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to take one off the wall because then I'm worried that like it'll never, you know, like I'll fucking lose it or Hannah will lose it because, you know, now there's this person that just picks things up and loses them in my house, so they primarily stay on the wall now. You should start getting. Find them all stuffed in a couch ten years from now when you guys move out of that place and upgrade to a bigger house. (laughs) You should start getting her the baseball ice cream hats for her wall. And hang them up until, and then do it like in the bathroom when they're completed. So finally, Hay is like, "What's going on with the baseball hats? Oh, like get the, the ice cream idea. helmets. Do yeah. it sneakily. One yeah, day like start there. Start putting them in every room over like six years. So finally, like one Thanksgiving, there's like a Braves helmet on like the the, the living room table, and it's like, "What's going on? They're, like they're growing like a virus, multiplying like gremlins." Multiplying like gremlins. Tweet us in at the, the underscore podcast. In the water. Yeah, but I think really like the new era fitted hats are some of the best. At least for me because I have a big, fat, stupid head. It's a very prominent head. It's very respectful and respectable. Yes. And there it is. This, this is um... purchase at Talladega. Oh, nice. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. How'd the, uh, hoops, how'd the race hoops. go? It was excellent. This so, so this guy that is a, this this racer Clark Kyle Larson, uh, yeah. we've tailgated. I've tailgated with his cousins two years in a row. They're with Bob's like camp. They're like the nicest guys. They're just the best. Like they're the best type of people to do that event with. You know what I mean? Like they've got everything. They can stay up. They can hang. They're not assholes. They're just good yeah. dudes. Well, this year in the race. Kyle Larson got in a wreck. A bad one. 
Oh, right. I saw that. On I mean, I saw lap. a clip. On the last lap, yeah, he flipped over, hit the wall upside down, and then went to flipping down the back straight the away. the last lap? Dude, yeah. that's, that's humbling. That's terrible. Yeah, there's a few times in a race where, and that was a really exciting race. They were passing a lot, and Chase Elliott ended up winning it, a Georgia boy, which was cool. I, I pulled for him. Chase. But seeing Kyle Larson get upside down on the backstretch, and from where our seats are, it's almost a mile away to the backstretch because the track is so big. John can attest to that. It's like three football fields or maybe bigger. Like That's like what it looks like when you're walking in. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's ridiculous. And wait, how big is it? It looks like it's four football stadiums like combined. That's like how gigantic it looks wow. like when you're walking in. I think they said they can fit something in the infield like twenty-five Fenway parks. That's insane. In the infield. How is it as a spectator? Is it pretty good seats because you're you're all gonna get the same vantage point at one point when they pass you? Is it like Yeah, you don't you want to do the the higher you sit is the, the higher you sit, the better your seats are, so the more expensive they get. So we sit up really high, and we're literally right behind the spotters who spot for the drivers, who talk to the drivers through the race, talking to the race and tell them where the other cars are, tell them where the run's coming from so they can get up and block or they can get in line somewhere. And you can wow. wave to them. And I saw this year when we were walking in, I saw a bunch of the spotters, that I and I know these guys. Spotters. I've seen them interviewed, and I've listened to their podcasts. And, uh Plus. Uh, Blast. 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 But uh they're just regular guys. They don't get they don't get paid a lot of money like the drivers do. They get paid, you know, like we do. So Yeah. It's it's cool. So it was nice and I got to they actually stopped. Like it's it's an hour from race time. They gotta get up there, set their crap up, get make sure their radios all work and everything, and they sat there and a few of them talked to me for like five minutes. It was it cool. is a production like nothing you've ever seen. And when the cars all drive by you at the same time, Clark, you know, like the big cluster when it comes by, you feel that shit in your internal organs. Nice. Gives you that rush. You're like, oh. And, you know, that happens 500 times. That's amazing. Buckle up. But you can bring How your own beer in. How long does the race in. last? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. I, yeah, you can uh, bring your own beer in. That's what blew my mind. Yeah, I that's can, amazing. As much as you can bring in. I can fit an entire case of beer in my soft-sided cooler, and I do that every year. And every year, we are out of beer by the time no. we walk out. We are Shut. out of beer. Hey, Bob, Shut. when you go to these races, how long do they typically last from the time like it starts? Talladega is different because it's a track where they usually have a couple, like one or two huge crashes that take a lot of time to clean up. So like this year, they had a bad crash on lap 12 and they had to stop the cars on the back stretch for probably about 30 minutes so that race if okay. they ran green, would probably take about three hours but it usually takes about four 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 and a half okay so that's it's a fun, fun. That, that you get your money's worth that i mean you're having a good time it's an experience and yeah we sit right in front of the pit so we see every single pit stop and the cars coming in like you hear them like some of them are skidding to the pit stops skidding to their pit stall they're blowing tires up because they're they hit the brakes too hard and it's oh it's, nice you watch them like you know they're trying to get their pit stalls and they get spun around by another car because they you know their crew chief's not guiding them in right and this year was oh, just that's fun yeah it's fun. it's it's good it's a good what? time my and parents nice. went there. All the fans are really nice. Yeah, my par- my parents went to the Monster One in Delaware. And- uh, Dover, Delaware. Yeah, the Monster Mile. 
it got rained out. They didn't do it, but they. My mom sent me some videos of like them, I guess, like warming up or. Yeah, they like, did get the cars on the track on that race, and then right before the lap, before they went green, the skies opened up. And then the rain just killed it. And there's a theory on those tracks, though. It's called the vortex theory. Some people agree with this, some vortex. people don't. The vortex theory is once you get the cars on the track, especially the short track, and you get them up to speed and all the heat with the cars. Because I've been to Dover where I've sat. My seats at Dover, I used to sit right down against the track. You can still see a little track because the track is like a giant bull ring. It's, it's banked really high. So you see the oh, cars yeah. in the corner. You can even see them on the back stretch. The back stretch is banked. That's what they call self-cleaning because when there's a crash, all the cars usually slide to the inside so everybody just stays high and goes by. But anyway. you can, high and goes by. It was like this 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 race was like 50 degrees. So we were freezing all day. It was kind of drizzling. And then finally the rain stopped and the race started. And the cars going by heated us up. Like we took our jackets off. We were in T-shirts after like 10 laps because of the heat from the cars. So the vortex theory is once you get the cars going around that track, it the rain kind of breaks up right over the racetrack. Now, oh. there's nothing scientific to prove this, but sometimes I've seen it actually where there's like some serious rain coming towards the track, and it kind of goes like around it. I don't know. It kind of goes – okay, so it's a safer place to, to race in. Well, no, just because like the heat from the cars and the speed and the wind forces they're creating by going 200 miles an hour, you know, it, it and the heat that they're giving off because the tail – It's a vortex. Yeah, like almost like a little oh. wind tunnel thing above the track that keeps the rain, blocks the rain. Whoa. Which, which really, in reality, they, Allen shit. you could feel the wind from the cars, like where we sat, because we were three rows up from the fence. But <laughs> like 50 feet off the track, I doubt they're creating that much turbulence. It's pretty, kind of, pretty kind of amazing, though, to go see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's so pretty cool. It's a much smaller track. Yeah. And Dover is an interesting track because it's a, it's a mile long, and those guys are ripping around that thing doing 185 miles an hour in, in the turns because it's banked so high. It's, and it's concrete, so they get even more grip. The tires don't fall off. That's pretty amazing. A funnel. Which leads us to a question that the state of Michigan is asking to Query. A query. <laughs> a query. It leads us to a... I query you? Well, this leads us to a boggle that everyone is deciphering right now. Bob, would you rather be a race car driver in NASCAR for one season and be pretty successful at it? And like get all being, this... being good equipment? You have good equipment. Even though I don't know how to drive a stock car, I've never driven a stock car before. Oh, you'd be a natural. You'd fit right in, and oh. you're going to have success off the court and all of the pleasures that come with it without the nasty aids and things like that. Oh. Would you, would you rather have that, or would you rather – be in the uh, cockpit of a shuttle launch uh, for one day. Cockpit of a shuttle launch for one day. Really? Yep. All right. I admire your skull and your Kodak. Um, Kodak. Chewing tobacco. I admire your Kodiak. Kodiak. Kodiak and skull. First time. And grizzly. By the way, I saw some chewing tobacco. <laughs> Kodak. I saw some chewing tobacco the other day, and it was Red Man. And it was just a red Indian as the logo. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that company's really holding on right, in this day and age. And I thought, those kind of companies can get away with it. People I, aren't complaining about red man tobacco. I you know? some of that, and uh, that will make you go blind if you finish that whole patch in one day. Oh, really? Is oh. it strong? Oh, my gosh. It destroys you. My jaw hurt for like a week. Oh, my gosh. Really? It destroys you. It's strong? Yeah. Yeah, it's I strong. think that would, yeah. help you, that would help you quit. 
Yes. I should go back to it. Yep. Me too. Red Man. But yeah, that's a good... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of rethinking that one, though, because it'd be cool to be on the NASCAR circuit as a driver for a whole year for 38 races from February to late November. But still, a shuttle launch is something you just can't do. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. There's so many, there's so less, so many less people that have been able to do that. You know, less than 500 people have been able to sit there and have everything light up underneath them and go Mach 26 and oh. get thrown into orbit. Isn't well, like, isn't like Mach 5, doesn't it feel like your heart is in your neck or am I completely wrong? Well, that's just the acceleration. Like it depends, like the shuttle accelerates incredibly, like the Apollo rocket, the Saturn V took a long time to get off the pad. The shuttle gets up and out in a huge hurry and you're already going 100 miles an hour when you're clearing the tower. You're going 150. And then by the time... And 45 seconds in the launch, you're Mach 1. Oh, my God. It's pretty incredible. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And then you hit three Gs. The question that the world has, Bob, would you rather be in an airplane on the 9-11 attacks and take down the terrorists, avoiding one of the crashes, or successfully be in a... P-40, World War II, take off Pearl Harbor and take down a bunch of Jap planes. Go. Okay. I can qualify, sir. Can I ask a few questions? You can You can do whatever you want. You're Bob. Uh, so these uh, – what am I in when I'm uh, intercepting these uh, commercial airliners that I'm going to have to shoot down that are going into the buildings? Oh, no. Uh, you're on You're on the plane itself. You're physically – No, like, I know. Like, but, but <clears throat> what kind and do I have missiles oh. or am I ramming and ejecting? Uh, you're ramming and ejecting. <laughs> like like my death. Yeah. Gonna... Terrorist in the ass. Uh, I just have to go with 9-11 because so many more people died in that. <clears throat> and those... awesome I hate to say it like this. I hate to say it like this, but that was a naval base of the Japanese attack. Those were naval – obviously – you know, totally attacked unprovoked. They were total victims of a cowardly Japanese empire. Pieces of shit. Uh, but right. they, uh, I don't know. I, there's just something about thinking about 9-11 and fuck. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't even eject. I just fucking ran. I take that F-16 and just like put it right through one of the fucking wings on that plane over the, uh, over the, uh, the river. I would do the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. My question was actually, would you rather be on the plane, like inside? And oh, inside. inside I was going to say, imagine if you were the civilian who took down the terrorists, took hold of the plane, and landed it, and the, the only one plane hit one tower that day instead of two. Wouldn't you be like the most so, untouchable human on planet is. Earth, oh, or at yeah. least America? It's be a day, though, because you saw the one tower hit, and that's going to fall. And then you still have still. the Pentagon and the plane that went down in Pennsylvania. Right, but so you were like, the yeah, one. but it still like sucks. There's still a lot of people that are going to be dead. But you're uh, saving a lot of life. But yeah, once again, too, if I'm a P-40 intercepting Japanese zeros, 140 Japanese zeros incoming, I'm only going to be able to probably shoot like, if I'm if if I'm like the best pilot in the world at that time, put me in the best pilot in the world's body. Warhawk. Yeah. Maybe I could shoot down four or five of them, and it's not going to put a dent in the attack. Right. So That's yeah, true. probably yeah. I want to be on one of the airliners, and uh, probably yeah. And I would I, I and I know I could do it. I could kill those assholes with my bare hands if I if I had oh, the yeah. 
if I had the knowledge going in that the bombs were fake, that they just had box cutters, so all I got to do is grab one of their hands, break their wrist. Oh yeah, you could do it even if the bombs were real, Bob. You're and then I get one box cutter and I can start stabbing the other terrorists to death, and hopefully even just save the pilot so I don't, I don't have to like you know call yeah. the FBI and be like, this is pilot Doofy. Can <laughs> 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 you help me? Hey, well, if movies have taught us anything, it's that you can land any aircraft in the world as long as there's somebody down there on ground control to talk you through it. Well, you don't have to. They don't have to be through it. They can tell you how to set the computer up to do it, and you just hit a button, and that thing will land itself at a certain airport. Even if it's someone who has no, uh, you know, air traffic control experience, just someone who was just in the room. Like me, right now, I could get a phone call. I could totally tell somebody. Land a commercial airliner. You name it, any airliner. By the way, there are some amazing flight simulators out there. Cutting Edge Radio. If you guys ever want to like fly a plane, just download some of these like Microsoft flight simulators. They, they're like oh the real God. thing. They're too it's addicting. Amazing. I did. You told me to do this once, maybe like four years ago, and I did it, and I was like, no, this will take up hours. In yeah, a, you're gonna in get a blink. What you need to do is you need to order the joystick and, and get fired. Oh, too late. Uh, you know, from Amazon, you can get those. And uh, and you can really you can really be a uh, uh, a fat armchair pilot. That'd be great. I would take it too seriously though if I invested more time into it. Like Jen would be like, dinner's right, and I'd be like, you're gonna cause me to crash. Please wait till the red light is on or the green light's on to come into the cockpit. And I'd be like, Panda three forty eight requesting takeoff runway four, and they'd be like, oh, why don't we have sex? Um, the question, the other Panda 48, Panda. Denver with an early the, lead on Portland 3426. The British Airways yeah. planes have the best call sign. The British Airways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what they call them? Yeah. Uh, Speedbird. Speedbird. I, I didn't think it was Speedbird. Oh, Speedbird, you appear to land here at Heathrow. Runway 33, winds out of the uh, west at four miles an hour. You have a bit of a, a crosswind coming in. From the east well, and uh, there's a bit of Road English runner. fog at the end of the runway uh, with a few doves. So be careful. Make sure you slow it up quite a bit at the end of the runway. Don't spill your salt. Speedbird. Speedbird sounds like one of those like C minus level superheroes that like you know no oh, yeah. one really Not knows. Not a good superhero, but a good call sign. Yeah, for like the rights are open domain. You can kind of use it for anything because no one's suing you because you suck. If you if you like YouTube flight. You know, flight landing instructor. Most of them are like, for whatever reason, Heathrow landings. So you hear that. You hear like, Speedbird, please proceed to, you know, runway three of the course. There's a bit of a queue. Um, and then, uh, you know, bring it home. Uh, the question that the world Speedbird. has tonight, Bob, is would you rather, history hour version, be one of the. Uh, paratroopers that lands on D-Day and kills a bunch of Nazis on June June 6, 1944. Love, love to kill some Nazis. Nazis. Killing Nazis. Nazis. Or... We'll be doing one thing. Would can you I do this a baseball bat? Killing Nazis. You can, you, yeah, you could do an Eli Roth baseball bat modified with, like, red, white, and blue nails coming out of it if you want. Something. But you're there. You're a paratrooper. Or would you rather be one of the F-16s dropping bombs on Afghanistan right after 9-11 and feeling that rush as you hear that that bullshit underneath you just blowing up? Ooh, that's tough. It's, it's 
tough, right? I don't like Nazis. Um, and I don't like uh, I don't like terrorists either. I don't like dark people. <laughs> Kidding. Cancel us. Isn't terrorist such a, a, a funny term? Like, they're all terrorists. Like, every bad guy is a terrorist. Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. not all and just the towel kicked, heads. They kicked the door in behind me right now and came in and slashed my throat. That's a terrorist. Right. That's a terrorist. That's a terrorist. So what would you rather do? Would you rather be cause terror. One of the paratroopers in the uh, 101st Airborne uh, dropping into Normandy on June 6th, taking care of some business, or be a pilot of an F-16 Fighting Falcon dropping the bombs on Kabul and surrounding areas after 9-11, one of the first strikes. Well, the fighter jet aspect of coming in at 600 miles an hour and putting putting some daisy cutters down on some uh, yeah, people and, and just knocking out like a whole freaking bunker of those freaking assholes would be very, uh, that's compelling. I would uh, rather, I think my mm-hmm. skill set better suits me to be on the ground with a rifle, an assault rifle, uh, just killing not Nazis. Nazis. That's a good okay. answer. What about you, John? What would you have picked in such a scenario? I like that answer, Bob. What was Bob's answer? What did you say? He used a term that sounded like it would be in like a Friday movie, and I lost it. Ask me the question again. Sorry. <laughs> I was there? checking in on the NHL playoffs, Matt. I can Ooh, give you an yes. update if you'd like. The, the Sharks. Bruins Please. over the Hurricane 5-2 to two to take game one. And, uh, the Capitals. and the Sharks advanced and will face the Blues. That's going to be a hell of a series. Hell of a series. And remember, the Sharks came into their last game with a 3-3 record on each side for the uh, – Yes. They were in game seven. I mean, they're, right. they're playing, the, they're playing the, to take it home this year. They're, they're, they're the real deal. And those so, are – I don't know how you pronounce it. The San Jose of the Ocean. Sharks? San Jose. San Okay, good. And they eat lots of quesadillas, jalapenos, and fajitas there. Right. Unless they're out with their wife for a class evening and they're Sigh. ordering a nice bottle of Merlot. Sigh. Uh, they're <laughs> on the same page here. The Merlot. I would like the Merlot, please. I'll take the Merlot, please. Can I have the Merlot, please? Um, one more question here. Oh, John, yeah, what would you pick? Would yeah, you rather be jumping out of the 101st Airborne on D-Day, World War II, Paratroopers, no. band of brothers, shit, fighting Nazis, or being an F-16 fighter jet dropping bombs in Afghanistan, the third week, fourth week after 9/11. Oh. You know when we first went in there because we just want we're pissed off. We're like just fucking bombs. Number something. two. Number you two. Would? Yeah, I would like. I would love to light them up, knowing that they are not gonna shoot, not gonna hit me if they try to shoot back. They're Bob, at that time, did they even have missiles that could shoot that high? Yeah, they had RPGs. I imagine them being like, yeah, they could, No, they could, yeah, because to drop some of those bombs, oh, you got to get pretty low. That's, that's what uh, they started using the with the Hellfire missiles. But the F-16s, you got to come down a little bit, and you expose yourself for a few seconds. And they have RPGs. And Could you imagine? Hey, uh, did you see any action? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any kills? Well, about 57. Oh, really? Uh, what did you, like, fly the jet? I controlled the drone from the battle station. <laughs> I controlled the drone in the ba- basement uh, of the I don't know if that counts. I admire both of your ballpark franks on that one, though. That's a good one. 
No, that's good. And then also, too, I think John's the type of guy, too, after he dropped the bomb, he would come back around over the site that he just bombed Oops. and, like, you know, invert himself and, like, flick him off and everything. And yeah, yeah. Give double down. I double down. Give him a little goodbye thing. And I drop another round. Right. Get right back to uh, Bagram Air Force Base or go back to the carrier if you're an F-18. Oh, yeah. I bombed the runway. Bob, last history question of the night, history uh, hour here on the podcastle. This is Would You Rather. Bob, would you rather be in one of the front formations in a successful Pickett's Charge? Ooh. On the Union side, of course. Okay. Or. How does that work? I guess you would be responsible for a lot of enemy kills that day, but you're able to witness it at a vantage point where you can relive like, that day in safety. How about we transpose it onto Fredericksburg, which was similar, where the Union charged up the hill, they couldn't get to the Confederates, and they got stuck on the hill for like two days and just couldn't even get up because the Confederates were just picking guys off as they were getting up and trying to run away. Would that thrill you? Because we can change the scenario. That that might thrill me. but I Okay. I want to hear the other side of this too. Okay, let's say let's say it's Fredericksburg. You're in that situation. You're not going to die, but you're there to witness the day and keep that part of history with you, and then go back in the future and you have that knowledge and that back to the vision there, the future. Or, Mr. Bob, would you rather have been in World War II at the Battle of Iwo Jima, putting that flag? Up on that mountain. Ooh. Up on that hill. Jima. Up, up on Mount Sarabachi. Wow, you know your history. You just blew my fucking ballpark, Frank. Uh, Back yes. in my ass. Well, that well, that's an iconic photo, and it's an unbelievable thing, and they created a monument to it, and, and uh, those guys came back with a lot of problems too. There's a, they made really? a they made a movie on that. What do you and, mean, a lot of problems? Yeah, like a yeah, third eye? Half of them got killed before the battle was over, the guys that you see in that picture. And then the other half had basically survivor's guilt coming back. You know, they were they were they they became like alcoholics and had very tough personal lives. And I don't wow. I don't know. I think uh, I think leading the charge at Fredericksburg, maybe ending the Civil War right there, breaking through the Confederate lines and then kind of like breaking them in half and you start firing down the lines and and basically breaking their will to continue the battle, I think uh, I'd probably go with that. That's a very good answer. I admire that. I admire your uh, Atreet soda. It's pretty good. But it'd be pretty cool to be on a monument, even if I got killed like a day later. Pretty cool. But you know what? But it's and not not that nobody should know the names in the monument because it, it's a testament to all the soldiers who fought in that battle and, and in that war. You know, it's not right. it's not just about your self-aggrandizement or anything like that. But it's uh, yeah, uh, that's a tough one. But yeah, I think I go with Fredericksburg. Pretty cool. Good answer. Phillies are off tonight. Here. They're in uh, Kansas <laughs> City tomorrow, where Jake Arrieta takes on Homer Bailey. Tune in at seven fifteen p.m. Eastern Standard. Homer Bailey. Yeah, Somebody Homer Bailey. John, Homer Bailey. <laughs> hey, uh, who's your favorite player? Oh, Bailey. Oh, Bailey? Jack Bailey? No, Homer. Homer. Bailey. Who names Homer Bailey. anymore? Simpson? No, Bailey. Right, that, that poor guy's probably like 28, which means he was like around the height of the Simpsons. I mean, they named him after Homer. Yeah, totally. Don't you think a tough name like that can go either way? One, you're going to be... I'm not saying the, the name Homer, but if awesome. you name something weird... 
you're either going to be like amazing or like a recluse that's like destroyed by life. Like you're either going to like the Johnny Cash song, a boy named Sue. You're either going to be this tough badass that just can kick some ass, or you're going to be like a pussy that's like I, I, I like stuff. Or your name could be so dumb that you just go by two initials like CC. Yeah, Cupcake Sabathia. Cheddar Cheese. <laughs> Joe Sagalbeni, uh, my one of John and I's friends. I don't know if you know him, Bob, but he's a diehard Yankees fan. Like he's just obsessed. Gross. Yeah, and I at one year when like the Phillies were playing the Yankees, I was like, oh yeah, I hear they got Cupcake Sabathia on. Everyone starts laughing. He's like, you know, fuck you, Clark. For doing what? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I had to like t- tone it down. He was so angry at the weight jokes about Cupcake Sabathia. So, of okay. course, ev- everybody in the evening was like, hey, Joe, you want a cupcake? You know, and he's like, okay. Kind of cooled down a bit. Joe, he always asked for it. Oh, he, always, he was one of those asked. guys who's he's funny as hell, and he right. asks for it, but he can take it. So it's like it's he's enjoyable. he's an enjoyable fella. Yeah, he's enjoyable. So you can take, you can dish it out, and you can take it. Yeah, which is is what you want. But he asks for it a lot. Tweet us at the underscore podcast. We'll check out tonight's show and other shows Crush on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, 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 and Roku. Crushing our nuts. Um, what do you guys want to get into? You want to put tonight in the W? Or you guys want to? You want to? I gotta up hang it up. You guys can keep going, but I gotta hang it up. All right. Well, Bob and I are about to crack open World War One. I. I had to take the day off today. All right. Oh yeah, so you gotta you gotta be ready for to put the, the fight back in tomorrow. The nanny had strep throat, so. What's the like strep throat? Our nanny, so. Oh. No one could watch Hannah, so I'd take the day off. Luckily, my boss was cool about it, but. Yeah. I gotta kind of get up early tomorrow and you know show that I'm not like this. Irresponsible parent. Which you're not. Congratulations too on the new job, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Great. It's great. Great peeps. Great people. It's good stuff. That's all that matters. Yeah. What do you want to do, yeah. Bob? Do you want to keep going a little bit? Or are you gonna? Yeah, we can keep going if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. If John, are you able to leave the yeah. recording, or is that gonna? Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll mute off here and. Some history. No, I can't think of anything to say. What was that subject you just did, John? What was that? You just what was that? That sports recap? I didn't understand. Was that the end of? Was that sports with John or what was? Well, I don't know. I was kind of peppering it in, peppering it in throughout the show. Because there's, oh, you know, was... there's the playoffs and. I was just trying to set you up for. When that. did the, when did the uh, Sixers sports play? John. Is it Sunday. Sixers play Sunday now. I okay. did say that already. God damn it! I was, can't win if you don't move your back row. Was that sports with John or was it? Row. Oh, by huh? the way, by the way, can we cover this right before John leaves? John, you got like two minutes. Yeah. Um, did you guys happen to catch Saturday Night Live uh, last Saturday evening? With Sandler. Yes. I, yeah. I think I've seen all of it except for the was, Farley song. I didn't watch it again because that's part of his new Netflix special. I already watched it and it was sad as hell. Yeah, it the fresh way, Like, you didn't see it coming in this thing. And it was like, you think they're going to do the last skit and the last band performance? And it was all Sandler singing about Chris Farley. And it was it was so well done. Like, yeah. You, you yeah. Know, you know, 
but it was just so like perfect after, and it was one of the best Saturday Night Lives I've ever seen because they redid a bunch of Sandler's. Well, you saw it. They redid a bunch of Sandler's old characters. I thought it was so good. Opera Man. I thought it was amazing. It was like it was like a like a '90s reboot that worked. Yes. With the original cast, it was amazing. Well said. Get the spackle. Give me a John before you go. Give me a good. Before you go, give me a good, and that. Well, I could I, just uh, I could just do the uh, the standings in the American League. It's the Rays on top in the East, the Twins in the Central, Minnesota, and the champions, the Astros in the West. In the National League, Phillies with a three and a half game lead on those Bravos in the East, still somehow hanging on. Bryce Harper hit like a super slump and then hit a grand slam yesterday, I think, or two, two days ago. Two nights ago, yep. That was healthy. That was juicy. Uh, Cubs in the Central, Dodgers in the West, and that. Oh, right on this overpriced hot dog. Oh, I'm still eating it, though, because I paid 11 bucks and it tastes like a baby. Sports with John, John, John. There it is. Dick, tip, 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 tip. <laughs> Disgusting. Like a baby. What? It tastes like a baby. Because it's like a baby. It's the size of a baby. The size of a I'm eating it anyway. It was $11. 11 bucks to Dodger Dog. There's the whole damn thing. Whole damn thing. The head, oh. the tail. The cum, the cum, the bun, the whole damn thing. Thank you, Mr. Quint. We'll take your Under suggestion advisement. of the council. Under advisement. All right, boys. <laughs> Good night, Lord. Peace out. Love you. Peace. Hi, John. Love you. NASA's plan to get the moon by 2024 isn't ready yet. Members of Congress grilled representatives from NASA today over the agency's failure to deliver a plan for getting back to the moon within five years. The plan was supposed to be ready by mid-April, but NASA officials say it probably will be a couple more weeks until the details are finalized. And, Bob, I am okay with that. We're going to the moon. Let's not rush these things and put deadlines on it that are convenient to uh, mouth breathers in Congress that want to report back to their constituents. Let's let NASA have the window they want. What do you think about that? No, I think it's good. I don't think they'll get there by 2024. They're already a year and a half behind schedule as it is, and they're not going to be. They were supposed to be able to test the new uh, Orion spacecraft and the SLS uh, flight system, which is going to be the biggest, most powerful rocket ever, bigger and more powerful than Saturn V. They already have the launch pads ready for it. Everything's fitted for it. It's good to go. They're having some trouble right now with uh, the – actual Orion spacecraft itself oh. and the, engine, the engines. They used a lot of the space shuttle engine technology, which packed a lot of power into a very small engine because that's what they needed for the shuttle. Wow. Uh, More powerful than the Saturn V, which is realistic. Well, combined, but... combined it will be because they're going to have two solid rocket boosters on the side of this thing too. Oh, so, wow. Because eventually they want to, they, this is going to be how they get to Mars. And I think for us to get to Mars, we almost have to – just because we landed on the moon back in 1969 doesn't mean, like, we've done that before. We can just do it again. Right, right. There was too True. much of a gap. There was too much of a gap. The last time man, man walked on the moon, I believe, was 1972 or 71. And yeah. all those guys, all that institutional knowledge is gone. And it's not – just because we have the technology doesn't mean we have the know-how. 
we have to almost relearn it again. We have to do it all yeah, over. Wait a minute. That's so true. The moon, the moon landing thing was it was very political, and the, yeah, the, that's NASA the political animal they are today, and that's why uh, the politicians, everybody got behind it. We spent three percent of our very entire political. GDP on the moon missions. How much? Three percent of the nation's entire GDP. That's a lot. That's a lot of money, and and you're We're absolutely never gonna do right. That. We're never going to do that again. We no, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it is political, and obviously at the time when that was going on with the Cold War, that was a testament to uh, beating Russia to that, uh, the Soviet yep. Union. And also, uh, you are right 100% about you have to relearn those things. It's, it's similar to, and this is on a very uh, lower scale, but it's like saying – well, you know, my my dad, uh, he he sailed uh, from Florida to Cuba in the sailboat, and it took some time, but he did it. So I can just get up and do it. It's like, no, you don't know about the currents, you don't know about yeah. the weight and what's going to happen. You haven't done this before. It's it's essentially training a new thing of of uh, a new band of of pilots to yeah. do this kind of thing. And it's almost like the technology that we have is more advanced now, and it almost works against us because. You know, we're obviously not going to use technology that we went up there with in the, you know, the, the mid 1960s technology right. we used to get on the moon. You know, we're going to use technology we have now, and that that breeds in a whole new set of problems too, to make sure that integrates with everything on the spacecraft, and it's going to be designed differently. It's going to be, you know, sure. be less switches and buttons. It's going to be a lot more digital. It's how they they started going that way with the space shuttle before they retired it. They took away the three cathode TV ray tubes and 2002 switches and put up eight screens in the cockpit for the commander and the pilot, and they only have like 850 switches. But still, like you're yeah. stuff that it has to still work together, and they're still trying to figure that out. And it took them 10 years with the space shuttle just to work out the software. So, wow, that long. And just because we're, we're, we have better technology now doesn't mean it's not going to take us that long to do it now too because it still no. has to work together. It all has to interface, and that's that's the most important part. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely the most important part. When you talk about the 60s space program and the Apollo program, you're talking about analog equipment, which you've said on a previous show. We have more uh, technology in our cell phone than was in the you know uh, lunar module at the time. Both the lunar module, the command module, and the space shuttle combined right now. You have more it's amazing. With all that combined. And do you think that makes it tougher today because – Back then, you were working with a finite set of technology where once you master that, you can do it. And today, you're like, well, technology's changing every day. Like, does it, we're relying more on, on technology now and automation sure. than we did back then. Does it take away from the experience? Not the experience. Does it take away from the, uh, well, yeah, the experience that you need as a pilot, as an astronaut today to do well, that? Yeah. And I think you have a different breed of astronaut, too. These are more – you still have your test pilots and all that stuff who are going to fly the thing, but they're not going to fly it as much as uh, as closely as those guys were flying it because they don't need to because because uh, it's going to be more complicated and they're not going to be able to. So you're going to really rely on the technology more to, to be able to do that. And they were designing – I feel like back then they designed the technology around the mission and the flight that and more around the astronauts input i don't know the insides of what the astronauts are like, giving them and of course they're involved in the development of all this right. stuff but how much of their input is being put into that and you know because that's where we saw when the astronauts were a little bit ignored in a yeah. and then you had a launch pad fire after the astronauts were screaming you know this spacecraft's a piece of junk we need to make some changes here and nasa's kind of like we need to push ahead we're going to land on the moon uh, before 1970 so, 
Was that a byproduct of that kind of uh, position from NASA? Was the the tragedy what happened with the three guys? Was like, yeah, we're just, we got to keep pushing forward. Like Kennedy said, we're going to the end of the decade. We got to beat Soviet Union. Let's do it. We yeah, because NASA, NASA at that point had become a political animal. They were the political lapdog of the United States government, political machine, Congress, the president, and everything. And and because it was such a proud program, you know, we touted ourselves on that. And NASA repeated the same mistakes with Challenger. And they repeated the same mistakes oh. with the Space Shuttle Columbia. It, it, it was a culture that was never really pushed out. I think now they have it pushed out. Right. I don't know. But but there's still a political animal. And you, you even see that, you know, you see that with some of the recent failures they've had. Uh, Columbia. Yeah. You've mentioned, too, in a previous show, and you're, you're right about the political uh, aspect of it. And it's it's amazing we, we forget or don't know how politically motivated that was. You're talking about 1980s, the height of the Cold War, or yeah. you know, and and you've said in a previous show that the um, space shuttle program indirectly may have ended the Cold War because the amount of money the Soviet Union was pumping into it. It did because uh, they, they had to match they had to match our space shuttle and they tried to and it bankrupted them. And it bankrupt them. And how much money, like GDP-wise, do you think that the Soviet Union put in there? I mean, they were spending billions of money. I don't even think we know that today. But with that type of government, you know, they'll let their—they don't give a shit if their people starve. But no. you know, they need to—they need to be able to pound their chest. And we're the proud, you know, big, right. big the big red bear. Yeah. Know? And if you don't meet meet expectations there, you don't get fired. You get killed. Yeah. You, get you know, it, back and they put a—they put a bullet in your head. Yeah. Exactly. And it's crazy to think about that. And so you're saying that uh, a lot of the disasters would have been avoided maybe if, well, if they, we weren't in a race. If they didn't have – even with the space shuttle, we were still in a race because they wanted to militarize. They wanted to weaponize the space shuttle even in 1986, and they were looking yeah. – because they flew DOD missions that with the space shuttle that they didn't announce the launch until like an hour before and the thing's sitting on the pad. I mean people knew they were launching a space shuttle. They just didn't know when. That's you know, crazy. Because they could see everything pre- being prepared, but they didn't know when the thing was going to go up. Oh, so uh, they just announced it publicly like an hour before. Yeah, to and not they give the Soviets. Weren't broadcasting any, any images from the mission. We just knew, hey, the thing went up, and they're going to tell us when it comes down. And that did that so, scare the Russians, the Soviets, because they're like scared them to death because they thought we had a reliable vehicle uh, that was akin to a commercial airliner. They actually bought into the political bullshit that NASA threw out on the space shuttle that it was. It was not an experimental aircraft, that it was a routine way to get to space uh, and that we could launch it whenever we chose to. And it could be a platform for spy satellites, uh, weapon systems and other Nukes. things. Like that. Yeah, anything. You know, they built that thing with the it's payload amazing. specifically. They built that thing with the payload base specifically within the, spe- the specifications to hold certain spy satellites and certain nuclear devices. And that scared the shit out the of the Soviets. Soviets, the Soviets knew that. They could tell we, we, looking at it. We can fly this STS up there with nukes and weapon, other weapon systems and spy satellites, and you can't even touch it. And the yeah. response to that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was there uh, remote-controlled, for lack of a better term, shuttle that yeah. was like an imitation? Buran. Buran. It only flew one mission, right? only flew one mission. was unmanned. The Soviets never had the balls. Even when they launched Yuri Gagarin into space, See, Americans did our space program completely out in the open, so the American public saw the failures and the successes as they happened. The Soviets would only announce their successes after they happened. Ah, oh, because that's not good. And they never broadcast their failures. 
They very there's very few images because they had a gigantic N1 lunar rocket that was supposed to take them to the moon, and in 1967 that thing blew up in spectacular fashion. And there's only one video of it. What was it called? I want to. I never. I didn't know that. The N1. The N1. Yeah. Wow. It was more powerful than the Saturn V. Problem is, it had like it had like 22 engines or something. It was way too complicated, and the thing blew up like 45 seconds in a flight, and that basically ended their moon program. It's very rare. I'm looking at the video right now, and it's the N1 rocket, and there's only one video of it apparently. And uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't really calculate their shit. And when you mentioned the bureau the Buran, the the shuttle, there was a space shuttle which shockingly looks strikingly similar to ours. Strikingly, and it does, and it's rotting away in an abandoned. Uh, they built six of them. Oh really? Yeah. That's how many they built because they, they just wanted to mass produce them, but they were building before they even test flow. Why were they Why were they um, unmanned? Because they knew it just wouldn't. It they, was a they, risk. They didn't. They yeah. They didn't want to do it, which is shocking in Soviet Russia. You would think you know they could get a few. They could get two cosmos put on that thing, which you know the first yeah, the, the first space shuttle launch was unprecedented. It was more risky than any other NASA mission ever. It was more risky than the moon landing to launch Robert. Wow. Uh, John Young and Robert Crippen on STS-1 because there were so many unknowns. They'd only fired the space shuttle main engines by themselves on test stands. They'd never put three of them up behind the shuttle and fired wow. them. They'd never fired the solid rocket boosters hor- uh, vertically. They only fired them horizontally. So they don't know what they they could calculate the stresses it would put on the vehicle and the shock waves and everything, but they couldn't they didn't know for sure. And then there were millions of lines of computer code that were put in to make all these calculations and when the boosters were going to separate, when the external tank was going to separate, how hot can we let the turbo pumps get in the main engines before they shut down? You know, or, or do is this a false sensor? You know, how what's the override situation? And these things were all done by hand by people putting in computer code. So that's one, incredible. One wrong line of computer code, one zero or one that is out of place or switched, these guys could get killed. And they sat yeah. on and flew into space. And that's very that's that's manual computer, you know, computation code being yeah. put in there. And and these guys are very good in the chance. The probability of error is low, but it's still there when you're talking about millions of code. Like there's a good – it's enough to scare and you. Nothing, not and it did that. The, the general purpose computers, the, the five IBM general purpose computers that essentially controlled everything on the space shuttle, they brought one extra up with them. That's scary. On, on STS-1 on the first mission and on the, the, the three other subsequent test missions before they declared the shuttle operational, which the shuttle was never operational. It's wow. still a test flight vehicle to this point. But – they they still they actually had Robert Crippen was in charge of basically one of the astronauts who helped develop that software program with the software programmers. He wasn't an expert on it, but he basically became the expert on it. And they, that's why they put him on the first mission. So if anything, because they were they were scared shitless. They were scared shitless of the main engines and they're scared shitless. They're scared shitless of the heat tiles and they're scared shitless yeah. of the seas. And they actually had they knew they had problems with the GPC and they still launched. And they had basically what was a, a book of other codes that John Young and Robert Crippen could put in to override those problems that they knew exactly when they were going to happen. The ones wow. they knew. Now, there were other ones that they didn't know. They just happened to didn't be – they weren't as important. Well, they knew about it. Yeah. Well, some of them they knew about, some they didn't know about until they got back. Interesting. I'm looking at this N1, N1 Soviet moon rocket explosion. And it's like the Challenger times three. It's uh, this thing exploded, and you see all these reds 
watching this thing, and then all of a sudden, boom. And that was never publicly released at the time? No. I don't even know how, the, how we got that. Because they were just too proud. But this thing just blew up like a, uh, like a balloon uh, being shot out of the sky with a potato gun. Yeah. And this was a manned uh, spacecraft no, going to the that moon? That was unmanned. And, like, when they first test – the first time they tested with the Saturn V, they did it three times. And oh. the first time was somewhat – I didn't know that. The second time was a disaster. It almost didn't make it to orbit. And the third time, right before Apollo 8, which was the first time they flew manned men on a Saturn V rocket, was when they sent them around the moon on Apollo 8 in December of 1968. Because they knew the Soviets were making this M1 rocket, and they had to do something about it. And the the final test flight, the unmanned test flight that the Saturn V had, it almost shook itself apart going into orbit. It barely made it there. The second time the Saturn V went up, it didn't make it to orbit. Did it explode? No, in the it, it made it. It made it, but it wasn't it wasn't right. Like you're not going to the moon with the way that thing performed. Oh, okay. So they're like, this is not cutting. And this is not cutting time, it. The third time, it almost shook itself apart, and it probably, if astronauts had been on board, it would have killed them. Wow. Vibration. It shook itself like it, uh, it was just too shaky? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not an engineer, uh, an aeronautical uh, engineer, but... You yes, know, you it, are. Eh, no. It, uh, the vibrations were so bad, it would almost look like scramble inside the oh cockpit. Oh, my gosh. So the Russians did thing, as, they, as history has prove, proven, uh, under a cloak of, of secrecy and only... Yeah put the fascist propaganda they wanted out for the world to see. So you wonder how many billions of dollars were spent or billions of rubles were spent in, in these failed rubles, Strotskin, Comrade, in these, these programs just to beat the yeah. U.S. And we were doing the same in a lot of ways, but we were successful. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just because we were successful doesn't mean it, you know, it didn't affect us. You know, we were drawing resources away from other things, you know, probably yeah. domestic stuff and, something to be said for that but still it's still the the moon landing is the single greatest accomplishment of humankind oh yeah ever you even if you're just talking about the aviation period from 1920 to 1970 to think we went from you know uh wind propelled well not 1920 but like 1910 wind propelled well, aircraft to the moon isn't yeah in 1903 1903 was Wilbur Orville's first flight, and they went, I think it was, was it 21 yards or something? At Kitty something Hawk? like that. Yeah, North 19, Carolina. And by 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are on the surface of the moon. So you're talking 66 years? We've come that far? you got to be kidding me. It's, an, it's insane. I mean, if you look at, like, the 11th century to the 16th century, things haven't changed that much. Sure, they have in a lot well, of ways, but... That's where they were too busy killing each other and getting, you know, living till 35 and then dying of, like, the plague. and Right. Yeah, bubonic plague and storms. It's the Dark Ages. But to think about the 20th century and the aviation advancements in 60 years, 50 years, 60 years, it's incredible. And when you look at um, – I read an article recently about the moon landing, and they say uh, – it was Neil Armstrong that, that did the One Small Step for Man. Yep. The original, the original line was supposed to be one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But he messed up the words a little bit or whatever and said one no, small I, step. I think he said it right, but it, 
you're talking about a, a, a three and a half second delay coming from the moon and you hear right. like a crackle. You hear a crackle when he says that. I think he said it. It just doesn't show up or he said it very quickly and the crackle kind of kind of. Yeah, it, it, you're not in a recording studio, you know, in 2019 with the technology. But regardless of if he messed it up or not, I think the way he said it worked better if he, you know, the, the way it came. Either way, it proved its point, and it was like an amazing moment in, in history. Well, you're going to see, if you watch that movie First Man, you're going to see really, like, all that stuff. It's it's unbelievable, and they show it, like, so real from his perspective. If but, it's on Netflix, I'm watching it tonight and reporting it, back to you tomorrow. I don't think it's on it. Netflix. I think last time I saw it was still, like, on demand. In uh, on uh, on like cable, you still have to like buy it. Well, then my wife's account is going to pay for it tonight because yes. it, it might be on HBO though. I know it might, they might have. Thrown oh, okay. It and when you talk about the Apollo program though, and you you look at the time frame between 1962, when did John Glenn go up up there? 62. 62. Is when 62. we first when we first orbited the Earth. That's when we first orbited the Earth. That was the Three first, orbits. and we almost killed him. We almost killed him when he went up there. Yeah. And then you talk about um, seven years later. And what's that? We're sitting on the moon. We're sitting on the moon is incredible. That's like uh, Columbus uh, reaching, uh, setting out to the, you know, the new world, North America, and then being like, by the way, uh, I also reached Antarctica and the North Pole and set up colonies there in like nine. It's 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 incredible to think about the time frame. Yeah. That they did that. Was that politically motivated? If there was no Cold War, would that time frame have been expanded oh, much more? Absolutely. If there was no Cold War, we don't land on the moon. Because Kennedy said that. He said we're going to send a man to the moon by the end of the decade. And we it's had like, to. we're the fucking U.S. We have to do this. And I think maybe you know, yeah, he said it. He he laid down the kind of the challenge, but uh, I think uh, if he hadn't been killed in Dallas, too, that may not have held as much weight. That was my next question. If Kennedy, and you just answered it, if Kennedy wasn't assassinated, would that promise or that statement have held weight? And you just answered it. Yeah, I don't think it would have held as much weight. I, I think there still would have been a concerted effort, but it wouldn't have been as, uh, I, I mean, I would have to say it wouldn't have been as frantic or as uh, desperate. We were desperate to get on the moon, and yeah. they took a lot of chances. They had software that wasn't loaded in correctly to Lunar Lander as that showed up mm. for screen landing because the, the computer couldn't handle the landing radar, the inputs that Neil was putting into it, and Buzz Aldrin and the stuff they were doing in the cockpit. It couldn't handle everything, so it was just putting stuff off to the side, and they had to deal right. with the 1201 and the 1202 alarms. They never even saw that in a simulation, and it was some 27-year-old kid in Mission Control working for the company who made those systems that said, no, you're good on that. You're fine. You can keep going. That's not a deal. Oh, breaker. really? Yeah. And when you talk about mission control and the technology available then, I mean, it's compared to today's standards, it was a primitive technology with the analog equipment. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they, how crazy is that? They, they, uh, it, it was ridiculous. And they had, it wasn't just like strictly now in mission control, you, you do have like in a, in a side room, you have, uh, some of the industry, the contractors, some of the guys who specialize in the equipment that's actually flying up there. So you can immediately run over to them and say, okay, what does this problem mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What do we do? All that stuff. Just like a commercial pilot can immediately get on uh, a call with uh, the manufacturer of the plane and say, hey, I got this alarm. What do I do? 
and they can give them instant feedback. That's what that's what commercial pilots do every day. Right. And but back in those days, those guys, those subject matter experts that built that stuff sat with the controllers. It's so insane. they'd literally like yell over to them or pick up a phone and call over to their console and say, all right, what do we do here? And you're talking to moon landing. These Neil and Buzz are descending at a certain rate. They have to, you know. Yeah, quick this, one. They have to hit certain marks and certain at certain times an abort does not become possible. And you're going to see in the movie what Neil does is they were put – it was going to put him in a crater. And I think I talked about this on the last show. Neil took – Neil Armstrong took control because the, the computer wasn't reading the boulders. The landing radar was going oh, in and out. yeah, like that three seconds to land kind of thing. Yeah, so it wasn't – the lunar module landing radar wasn't seeing those boulders in, a, in, a, in the proper way. So Neil Armstrong saw that, took manual control, and then hopped over and barely made it over a lip of that crater with Damn. less than 30 seconds of fuel to spare. I mean, and basically he violated NASA policy by doing that. What, say, what should he have done according to policy? Not, they said you get below 60 seconds, you abort. And he said no. And what would have happened if he didn't abort and it didn't work out? There's nothing they could do. Wow. I think That's a and, hero. Well, yeah, he was. And that's the thing. I think Neil Armstrong was putting that thing into the moon. He's going to put it in there no matter what. That was the whole deal. And that's a hero. That's not even, hero is not even a big enough word for that action. You have thirty seconds of thirty seconds of fuel. Less than thirty seconds, from what they they estimated. And that's what like showed, a, in the lamb it showed they had about three seconds left when they hit the surface and the engine stopped. That's incredible. Yeah. Wait a that's, minute. That's like the odds are stacked against you. And put yourself, like I'll use an analogy. It's like you're running out of gas. And a smaller analogy, but you're like, well, I know. I can make it to this road. No, this has never been done before. They have no idea. Yeah, and if you do run out of fuel, you're fucked. You're, you're on the moon. No one's picking and, you and up. And then you're then you don't have you don't have the velocity. Then you're committed to that vehicle then to hit the moon, and it's not going to be pretty That's because they don't have pretty. they don't have the control, the velocity to abort at that point to even pop off the lander part like they did on the surface. No, they couldn't do it. That's not pretty at all. What was the it was the Saturn V that took them up there? Yep. What was the fuel deck, the fuel count on that thing? Oh, I don't know. It was, it was insane. Uh, on that first stage, it was insane. I mean, like you're talking that thing, that thing burned enough fuel to drain an Olympic swimming pool, I think, in like 10 seconds. That's insane. To think so about the technology. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh. it's just it, it takes you a lot of fuel and power to get going that fast, especially when the rocket is coming off the pad that heavy. Yeah, it's unheard of at the time. And talk about pioneers. I mean, to take this kind of new, it's newer technology at the time to have all these uh, unknowns stacked against you and to pull that off, not only in the face of, of space exploration and science, but like you said, politically motivated, like, yo, we can't fuck this up. This is the, this is the Cold War. Like we're going to like we can, the world could be over if we don't do this because then. You know, the Soviet Union is going to take over. Like this is Nixon actually had uh, a speech ready if you know uh, if they either crashed really? the surface or their engine didn't fire to get them off the surface. Really? Yeah, he had a speech ready, and it's it's somewhere. I believe I follow Michael Beschloss, uh, the presidential oh. historian on Twitter. Oh, nice. Uh, and he, follow him. he posted that, that speech that Nixon never had to give uh, from the Nixon Library. Wow. Basically. 
saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. He posted the speech and they posted the internal White House memo that said this is how we're going to handle it. You know, Nixon's going to fly out to Houston and meet with uh, Mrs. Armstrong, Mrs. Aldrin. Uh, wasn't going to meet with Mrs. Collins because uh, he actually probably would have no. made it no matter what. Well, he would have made it home. He was orbiting the moon. Oh, command. right, right. He was in the, the, the So he would have okay. uh, But – yeah. It's tougher today. Back at the time, and I'll, I'll, we can wrap this up, but I, I wanted to say it's tougher today because you have a lot of pundits and, uh, you know, different things say, like we should be spending your money on this and that. Oh. But at the time, is it safe to say there was unwavering support for the, you know, for NASA program because of the world, you know, environment at that time? Like, yo, we got to like get this right. Yeah, I think so. I think you have much more national support because people weren't polluted by – these pundits and these analysts who don't have the full picture, the full sight picture of facts and who don't uh, quite honestly know what they're talking about. Also, too, you know, yeah, there's, don't write it off. Yeah. But there's also some ignorance involved with that, too. They don't know the whole story. You know, we have a lot more information at our disposal now, too. It's not all bad. But, Wait uh, a minute. You know, so there's less there, there were less doubters then, I would think. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm, I would think so. I'm estimating that. But, you know. I, I don't I'm guessing that I, I don't know. But, you know, you look at Apollo 8 and I think Apollo 8 inspired a lot into the space program that really kicked it in the ass because that happened at the end of 1968. You know, Martin yeah. was shot killed. Bobby Kennedy was shot and killed two months later. It was just a horror. We had the Vietnam riots. Everything was falling apart. Lyndon Johnson wasn't going to run for another term. He was, you know, he was persona non grata, you know. Lame duck. Yeah. So it was like our government, our our, our whole, uh, the institution of government finally, you know, the people didn't trust it anymore, which was the first time really that that widespread had happened because of the Vietnam War. And then you had over, Christmas, over Christmas, Apollo 8 launches, goes around the moon, you know, Frank Borman, Bill Landers and Jim Lovell. Yeah. Orbit the moon, you know, basically on a what, you know, I think they gave them like 50 50 odds that they were going to be able to com- complete the mission and bring them back. Wow. 50 50 odds those guys were coming back. That was Apollo 8, right? Yeah. And that yes. inspired, and that was the first time people don't realize it's the first time men flew on the Saturn V. Like I told you, those test missions, they didn't go that well. Right. That's it. Did that feat alone, that accomplishment alone, I think, the I think that, 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 that bolstered it was and Neil Armstrong said this. He, he says it in the movie, but he also says it. He said it in person, too. I've seen in interviews where he said those guys set the groundwork for us to land on the moon. I just happened to be the guy that got to walk on the moon. It, But it was because of the work. I did it on the backs of those. Uh, did he not, say that? Not the, yeah. Not just Is the it, astronauts, but the engineers and everybody else who put their time in and wow. fixed it. That's a very humble statement to make. Was that mentioned in the movie, or are you just no? He, I, th- I believe he says it in the movie. I, I don't know if I'm conflating that with some of the interviews I saw, but I think he says it. Wow, in the movie. that's incredible. And and just to go back for a second, when you said it's the first time, you know, in, in the country's history where people start to question the government like that, that's a very important thing to say because before that, people respected the privacy of the president, whether they were good or bad or whatever your thing is, they respected. You know the institution of government, and and now everything's an op- is open game, you know, and and sometimes it's 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 justifiably so, but that was a shift because the Vietnam War yeah. changed yeah. that perception of yeah. well. Then, then even you had you know I don't know if you saw uh, the Post the movie with Tom Hanks Meryl Streep. No, the- I haven't. Was that the Catholic Church? 
It's not <laughs> no. Uh, about, oh no, that's doubt. I'm thinking of yeah. doubt. Uh, the post is about the Pentagon. Uh, Right. About Robert right, McNamara's right, right. study, study that he commissioned on what the leadership and decision-making process was like leading up to the Vietnam War, during the Vietnam War, and then, you know, right. subsequently. And it's uh, true because you didn't really see protesters before the Vietnam War ever in the U.S. on that scale. I don't I don't remember any picture seeing that. but I mean, you had, like, people who were unhappy with things, but, you right. know, you look at – yeah, it was just, uh, and rightfully so. They, they, to a certain extent, they're right to protest now. Some of the ways they did it, I, I didn't agree with. You know, you don't. Yeah. But, but that, yeah, that's not part of the story here. It's just, it. It's incredible. Yeah, and the space program, like they even said, I think uh, they made them time men of the year, Borman, Lovell, and Anders, uh, after they landed safely. That's the first time people ever left the the orbit of Earth. So it was almost like a guessing game. And yeah. you got to keep in mind, too, we didn't have calculators. There were no calculators. And they didn't have a lunar module. They just no. had the command module. They were just in the command module the whole time, going around the moon. They didn't no, have a they didn't. And yeah. how scary is that, too? And I mean, the there's so many factors. Like these guys were punching stuff into a computer. This was all hand-jammed. And they had slide rules. Can so, you imagine doing that today, though? That's That's like... Uh, technology being way ahead of its time, but way behind the times at the same time, in the sense that, yeah, yo, we're throwing this thing up there, and we don't have all these things supporting it, but like we're going to do it with. with think it's going to work. Think I it's, it's going to work. It's a, it's amazing. There's no certainty yeah. in the space well, race. The human spirit transcends the lack of technology there, and I feel like we need that more right now than we need the abundance of te- technology in our society. Uh, I don't know. That is so true. The hu- the human spirit. Say that again. The human spirit. The human spirit transcends the lack of technology or the lack of ability to do something. Where but the lack st- of technology steps out, the human spirit kicks in, and we push the game forward. And yeah, it's going to happen. We have to. It was for That's our survival. Amazing. There's nothing I can say to top that. On that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening to the podcastles history, everybody. Uh, thank you, Bob, for joining. Is there anything else you want to add in there, man? That was a that was a perfect uh, segment right there. No, hey, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate thank it. Love coming on here. Love having you. Tweet us at the underscore podcast. We'll send Bob some uh, Philadelphia Eagles starter jackets gear, please, especially the $1,300 one, and uh, we'll make sure that he gets it. Tweet us, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody. Good night, and Godspeed. All right, man, I think we're done. That was great. Yeah.